OTB Sports Rugby. Some of the hype around Jack Crowley has been premature. He's played pretty well, but having him as the second coming of Christ seems to be a little bit aggressive. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. And you're very welcome along. It's uh, Friday morning. Very unusual. Uh, Shane, how are you? you? This isn't what Adrian looks like. No. Colm, how are you? Hi, lads. Ruining the vibe. Fridays with Jerry. This is yeah. Great. yeah, it is a Friday morning. Um, Adrian Barry's in the evening show. He's going to be in charge of the chaos that is the quiz tonight. Mm. I wish you all well with your endeavours this Friday. My work here is done. Thanks he's doing much. the quiz. No, he's hosting it. He's hosting it. Yeah, he's presenter. Oh, no. Are you on it? I'm are on either it. of you on it? I'm on it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Which concerns me now that Adrian is... In charge, well, well, that, I have faith in him, of course. It's, it's a much easier role, I have to confess. It's a much, much easier role. Yeah, presenting that. Is that a smugness from the well, quizmaster's chair? Yeah, there is, there is, because you know all the answers. It's true, yeah, for yeah, once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think everyone else is stupid for not knowing, even exactly. It's even easy when you see the answer in front exactly. of you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, don't don't tell anybody that, Shane. No, that's that is the secret. Yeah, yeah, right. So Chelsea and Manchester City, the um, the. Graham Potter getting <coughs> sacked stuff. That's not going to happen, is it? Like, they've, they've made their beds. They've got a very, very long-term plan. Their team is full of kids. Mm. Certainly at the end last night when they brought Aubameyang on and off. Yeah. Uh, the team ended up full of kids. You watched every minute of this last night, Colm? Yeah. Um, I gave it two halves, Ger. First Ooh. half was pretty poor. Uh, it took 20 and a half minutes for Erling Haaland to touch the ball. Raheem Sterling was taken off after, after five minutes. And Aubameyang came on and was totally anonymous and got hooked after 67 minutes. Kind of felt a bit sorry for him at the end. Didn't seem too long ago that he was Arsenal's star player. I mean, I don't feel any sorry. I kind of felt like, a bit from the human level that he was like... You know, like Shane, you were saying he looked disinterested, but I thought it was more than that. that on he a human level... Completely be, devoid of confidence. Didn't want totally. to be there. Didn't didn't you don't want to be there. You had to be there. Didn't want to be there. Be a good captain. He, um, do, the, do the job so, that you're supposed to do. Don't be arriving late to the North London Derby. So, he, so you're saying karma? Welcome to the Karma Hotel? I mean, I, he checked don't, in. I, don't, I don't really believe in karma. I think that uh, you, know, like you, you are you are the actions that you repeat the most often, or whatever one of those um, Graham McDowell type of aphorisms yeah. is. I believe everyone deserves a second chance, but no one deserves a third chance. That's how. Did you read that on Twitter last night? I did. There was a thread. There was the ninety-year-old giving advice. That, to that one stuck with me. You, we both saw the same. I thing. both saw the same thread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. different uh, perspective on life today. Jordan yeah. The threads on Twitter. I really like lads. I actually saw it Delete the, the app. Instagram, I think. I saw it on. Already? Yeah. Oh, it was a good thread. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wisdom. So anyway, that was the first half. I skipped forward there to the second half about Aubameyang. But then the second half started, Pep made a couple of changes and it was a different game altogether. And City were just brilliant from the start to the second half. And that goal, Jack Grealish just cross. Mm. Beautiful. Now, I would question what Kepa was doing, leaving the ball go. But what an incisive cross. And that's what the guy can do. And Jamie Carragher was saying in commentary in Sky Sports that it was actually unusual for Grealish to hit it first time because he usually yeah. takes two or three touches, but he's becoming maybe more ruthless and effective and like that's the player he can be. I thought Grealish was very, very good. He was funny after the match as well. I, I really, really like his post-match interviews. He was like, I'm just going to kick the... He basically said... "What was?" He was asked what's going through your head when you're crossing that ball in and he said, I'm just going to kick it in here because Erling must be in there somewhere. <laughs> Clearly it wasn't Erling that, that lashed on to the end of it, but it's a great way of thinking. Those City lads on the wings, they're just like, right, we'll put the ball in there because clearly Erling Haaland is sitting in there somewhere. It was, it was a great ball. Um, I think he even seemed surprised that Kepa didn't quite get to it. It was low-key a potential turning point for Man City's season because like, let's not forget, it was this shit Everton team mm. that they dropped points against. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those wins where away from home you just need to eke it out somehow. And clearly, I don't know what Pep Guardiola said at halftime, but I mean, something was said. Uh, it's Chelsea I'd be concerned about. It's funny because the, the reaction to Graham Potter wasn't negative at full time. He was, they were still clapped off. I think the fans even understand that this is a project under Todd Bully and it's it's really not working at the minute. They're 10 points off Champions League places. Todd, Todd and the new um, seven and a half year contract signing in the... Yeah. Like that's a, obviously they're, this is part of the reason why the whole um, transfer for the World Cup winner hasn't gone through just yet with Benfica Benfica in the paper is complaining madly about the fact that disrespectful yeah that they're trying to do the deal but not do the deal because of financial fair play um, and so a seven and a half year deal obviously you get to amortise the cost of that over that seven and a half years and so you write that off and it's good for your financial fair play so uh, where is it um Chelsea have been branded disrespectful over Enzo Fernandez' pursuit. Uh, he's he's gone crazy, according to the Benfica manager, who says, "Yeah, we understand there's lots of money at stake. Like, look, we we get it. Just pay the money, yeah. but they can't pay the money all in one instalment because it'll have a negative impact on their ability to do other business. And we see that their um, uh, uh, what's the name of the guy who was the sporting director of Shakhtar Donetsk was also sitting in the same box last night huh. and it was like oh what's going to happen here yeah, yeah well on a day where you sat, you make a 35 million pound signing and you're 10 points off the top 4 surely top 4 is a minimum requirement for a team with these spending outlays I, look if if Todd Bowley wants immediate results fair enough but then they wouldn't be signing they wouldn't have been signing Karni Tukamenka for 25 million in the summer and like the the age profile of the team at the end is really 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 young mm-hmm. they shouldn't have got rid of Tuchel they've taken three points off teams currently in the top 10 this season Tuchel, Tuchel doesn't want a signing who's amortised over seven and a half years he wants a Bamiyang and he wants that's he why wants, I felt sorry for Bamiyang a yeah. week later Tuchel signed him I can actually uh, regenerate this striker and a week later Tuchel's gone Bamiyang's probably never recovered from it sure mm. Ashley Young Gareth Barry sad departures for you for your lot Aston Villa but Chukamenka he must be must well, be the biggest regret of the 21st century well, isn't I, he? I do wonder if um, it hadn't been Steven Gerrard who was there deciding that he couldn't get in the team like if they just put him in the team at the end of last season and he was playing week in week out because they had made that decision about some other young players that oh you're, you're going to get in and play week in week out um, would he have had his head turned I'm not sure now there was reports a long way out that um, he wanted to go and play Champions League football and thought that he was better than Villa so like what are you going to do his kid brother also on Villa's books so we'll see what happens with that one hopefully he's better but <laughs> that team right at the end for Chelsea suited Graham Potter so much more than the team that started yeah, and sure. that's what Potter needs to do like, like if I was a Chelsea fan like yeah you're 10th like, this, is, this isn't great they were poor enough as the game progressed but at the end of the game you had Chukamenka, Hutchinson, Lewis Hall, Conor Gallagher on the pitch. Like, it's a pretty promising young side, and that I think is perfect for the current manager. But at the start of the, the game, like, Abamyang and Potter isn't the match. And, and so many of those established players, because, like, you have to remember with Potter under Brighton, he did have that six week brilliant spell at the start of the season, and it was like the hottest manager yeah. in the country. But it was last year that he was being booed by his home fans at Brighton for not scoring enough goals. Like, yeah. like did he get overly promoted very quickly here, Potter? Like, I remember thinking when he was offered that Chelsea job, stay where you are, mm. stay at Brighton. But the allure of a massive club, maybe it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. So he, took it. he just changed his personality overnight. He was well, he probably had to. The sideline, he probably had to feel like he did. But that side at the end. I'd is say side. I'm about six weeks away from wearing a turtleneck, so I'm all in favour of it. Oh, really? Have uh, you ever got to keep your neck warm? Have you ever uh, have you worn a turtleneck before? Why not? I'm told that it's it only suits a very select few. I don't think you I need can a risk giant it. long neck. Well, maybe maybe you need a giant long neck. Maybe the opposite. But I, I just 
I have never risked one. I've well, never worn you're one. You're a brave man. I could do it, yeah. I certainly do it, but I get a few looks, I think. My sisters have basically worn me off them. Not to call them out here, but they've definitely worn me off. You should not ever... You should never take fashion advice from your sisters. I know. That's you really fair. shouldn't. Because they probably don't care. Know, not just your like, sisters. No sisters should be given... Yeah. Why? Because <laughs> it's never good. Cork came out there. Why? <laughs> what do you mean never good? Well... I'm thinking of my own Depends sisters you, there. They, you they'd, be very, they'd be very offended. Yeah, yeah. So would mine, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And well, are they seeing you right, though? I think they are. Are you they seeing you right? Do they, how much of a good time do your sisters want you to have? They don't want you to be single forever. Well, no, but they're, but they're having some kind of vetting process going here. True, yeah. This is the start of a long-term, long-form vetting process. Your sisters aren't dressing you to court. <laughs> no? To, to court. Yeah, like they're... Not, not walking up the steps to, court, to the courthouse, but to court. To court. To court anyone. You know, they're not doing that. They're not or setting you up for uh, your love life. No. It's an there, advice about what looks good. No, is it though? Is it not like this would be conservative and safe now for you, and and I won't be in any way embarrassed by what comes out of this? Callum's got the cardigan on today. So he's, like he's he's obviously taking advice. <laughs> like he well, do you know who I get fashionable? Advice? Emma Carroll said she likes the cardigan, so I was like, okay, fine. I like oh, I like the cardigan as well. Right? Yeah. yeah. And Jojo sometimes will comment, but if he doesn't comment, then I'm like, well, maybe he doesn't like it. Yeah. So you know, I have to keep up appearances here. But not taking advice from your sisters—that's no, um, must be a personal experience no, for you. It's because just, mine uh, would be fine. What's, what's their what's their motivation? Motivation. Their family. They love you. Well, my sisters love. They don't want right. to be embarrassed by you out in public by you looking crap. So here, please wear this. Please you, don't you, wear it. You have very successful uh, public sisters who might like you know. In fairness, oh yeah, they might. You might. You might respect the brand. Well, that's the thing. You know. The hand brand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah. you got to get your own brand chain. I do. I, I think I, I wear. You, cho- you choose your own clothes. I dress quite, quite. But they've worn them off the turtlenecks. Is the point? Yeah, the turtlenecks. I, I do. I, I yeah. I get that. I don't. But I get that. I get that. I think they should did. be. Would you wear a turtleneck? I would. Yeah. You look like you're in the Cadbury milk triad if you wear a turtleneck. I think. Remember that one? I would. Uh, no, I pull it off. Probably it's yeah. You probably pull That's it off. That's what I'd say you could do. That's a, is that a new shirt? It's a it's a Christmas newish, newish Christmas yeah purchase yeah. So uh, Kathleen's producing today. I'm offended for sisters everywhere, and it's not like the man harsh, which is a fair point. Very fair. Uh, but I'm not. I'm not saying this isn't bad about sisters. This is just like you know, uh, stop being conservative and stop. I anyway. take advice off my brother as well, to be honest. And uh, but your brother, that's different. How's it different? But what's the what's the uh, <laughs> this is something very personal to you that I think you should get out of. I don't have brothers. I don't have brothers anyway. Yeah, neither. Uh, apparently, Potter did wear the Tottenham at Brighton anyway. It's just a media conspiracy that he didn't. Exactly. Nobody was paying any attention to him beforehand. Right, fair um, enough. We obviously got away later. Yeah, I take bit. that back. But Graham, I'm sorry, apologies. Um, is there any way that uh, Potter can re-establish the expectations at Chelsea and uh, go to the owners and say, look, that team at the end, that's what I want to build. Well, and if you have patience with me this season, I, think they will I promise you I'll make you a good team. I, I do think that, like... Um, so the multi-billionaire has a manager who, uh, maybe he's not a multi-billionaire, but anyway, um, the owners obviously have massive amounts of billions invested in this and they've decided that they're going to have a long-term plan and they've found a guy who's going to do pretty much what he's told to do. Now, hopefully, sooner rather than later, uh, they let him do a bit more about what he wants and we get to see exactly what that looks like. Um, but the team, could do with, the team could do with a bit more, right? Like... Is the 37-year-old centre-back, is that is that a long-term plan? He's going to be gone at the end of the year, right? Mm. Rhys James' knee is a significant worry because their record with Rhys James and the team is they win every game and their record without him is that they win 50% of their games. Like, uh, you know, small sample size, whatever. But uh, not having him in, obviously, and doesn't look like he's going to be back this season, does it? Or was there a specific... 
announcement on that just yet. If he's, it's going to be a while anyway, regardless. Yeah. Um, but like they've so many players, Chelsea. But the number of players they're missing last night, and they still had this cohort of yeah, uh, academy players come through. Like so, it's not like they're short of options. But I just think that about a third of that squad doesn't suit him. But at the same time, when I'm saying all of this. I can't envision a world where Graham Potter is still Chelsea manager next season. I just can't. Can you not? I, I just think I, I think they're going to lose patience with him. Uh, I think his rope was fairly long with with Todd. I, yeah. th- I think he's Todd's he's, guy. He's Todd's guy. Yeah. I yeah. Think. yeah. I just I, I just can't see him being there f- for that long, and I, and I can see it in about five years' time where he was like, I don't regret moving because it's Chelsea, but it just didn't work out. I, I get that vibe. I'm still off. getting paid by them. Uh, yeah. 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 Time. Exactly. But I still get that vibe, and I, that it's just not quite going to work out for him there. Uh, and, and if he could start, if last night was his first game, let's say, and they were the options available to him, I'd be far more excited for Potter, but it's because he's had a poor run of results coming mm. into this. I can see a Solskjaer type situation uh, develop with Potter where he gets in a bit of bother every now and again with results and then all of a sudden gets the result he needs, beats a big team just to keep him in the job for another three or four matches. It's very possible. And also, isn't it, wouldn't it be great for them not to be in the Champions League next season? Like, you know, they're not a... They're not one of those teams whose uh, outgoings is going to be based on incomings for the foreseeable future with the level of investment that they're making. And so therefore, if they did have a season like Antonio Conte did when he won the league at Chelsea, is it the worst thing ever for them not to be in the Champions League next season? I but think it's pretty bad. Well, but it's, not, it's more than likely not going to happen. But it's not a disaster. It's not a disaster the way it is for some teams. For recruitment, it's a disaster, sure. Is it though? Like, it seems Does Enzo Fernandez want to join a team that's not in the Champions League? Well, if Enzo Fernandez is getting paid, whatever he's going to be getting paid at, when the buyout clause is, is made, like. Is there a world where uh, Antonio Conte returns to Chelsea next season? No, absolutely not. The, the, the managers. No Champions League. He, he doesn't like a busy schedule. They won't be in the Champions League. At the moment, the way they're going, they won't be in Europe. They won't be in the Conference League. It's football. So to the ground. Any weird thing can happen, but all of the issues that Thomas Tuchel had with the board will be magnified a thousand times with Antonio Conte and I don't think there's any, any prospect of that happening I don't think that the Chelsea board would accept that either like they want somebody who will play Christian Pulisic and him and are they going to sign Gio Reyna I mean I would be terribly surprised would you, would you be terribly surprised yeah. to see yeah, yeah. I can see it happening uh, I, we, need a, we need a bit more of the Reyna parents in our lives don't we yeah Pochettino to Chelsea don't think so no oh, he's going to Spurs Think so? All day long, yeah. He's going. He's going he back. To, he's going back, back to, to He's going back to Spurs in the summer. He's going back to Spurs. That like that. That's a relationship. Like that's um, that's a brother and sister fashion advice thing. Patch and Patch and Spurs are made for each other. Um, They're just taking a break. Sarah Rose made her debut for Melbourne Victory, uh, so she is now playing professional soccer in the off season from her um, Aussie Rules career, just in time to get into the Ireland squad for the World Cup, which also happens to be in Australia. Is it? Yeah. Well, this is this is working out well. Now getting into the squad, the final squad won't be easy. Um, it's a very high level of achievement that Sarah was at at the moment. Jesus, yeah. I mean, it, in the off season, I'm going back to this thing. She went to college in America, isn't that right? One of these really annoying people who's just unbelievable at every single sport. Yeah, we all remember one of those in school. Sarah Rowe was clearly one of them, um, where she just everything she touches turns to gold in terms of sport. Uh, wish her the best. That's not going to be an easy squad to break into. I'd love to know how. You know, if if she does keep a a player out of the t- out of the squad that hypothetically helped the team qualify, how they would feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the individual concerned would be feeling pretty peeved. But uh, if you're in the team and all of a sudden she's on the bench and goes off the bench against Australia and scores, you're like, yeah, it was the right decision the whole time. True. Yeah. Sports yeah. people are notoriously fickle when it comes to their loyalty to each other. Yeah. It's a big move. Um, 
and clearly her AFLW colleagues have, have given her the blessing, allowed her to, to go off. It's a common enough thing, I think, in the off-season for them to be allowed to play other sports. But, um, yeah, she, one Irish cap so far. I mean... 2015. Yeah. It, the timing seems... seems. I mean, I, I know she's an injury replacement from, from Melbourne Victory, but the timing in a World Cup year, while she's living in Australia, has certainly piqued interest. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you've got to have big ambitions in life, right? got to go for it. Absolutely. And she has best. said that she wants to get into the squad. That's her aim. So I, yeah. I, 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 I don't know what standards the league is at in Australia versus the other leagues. Like, is it automatic if you're like playing really well and scoring loads of goals that you get an opportunity to play for Ireland? Um, it's it's semi pro, but um, thanks, Kathleen. Uh, but like, is that comparative to semi pro in Ireland? Is it like tier two in England? You know, even if she was to dominate that league, would that be enough? For Vera Power to go, yeah, okay, because Vera Power did have her in a squad, I think, like one of those um, training squads. Yeah, is that in the middle of COVID. Mm. Yeah, yeah, twenty twenty one. Yeah, so um, right, uh, so yeah, so off the bench this morning for um, Melbourne victory, very very impressive. There was a story about the uh, tickets for the World Cup as well. What's the crack here? Basically, uh, what is it? Four percent allocation. The Republic of Ireland have been given. This story broke overnight. You'll see Louise Quinn's response to it there. So our own Kathleen might not be tweeting. The FAI received just a. 4% ticket allocation of this World Cup opener against Australia. That's about 1,700 tickets out of a capacity of 42,500. Uh, Louise Quinn voicing her disapproval. Very unfair to our Irish supporters and to us for such a small allocation, hoping they can dig out more tickets to create an unbelievable atmosphere. Seems a bit a bit on the low end. I know, Colm, you were saying that the, the Wales team, for example, in the Men's World Cup, had a similar enough allocation for, for some of their World Cup matches, but... There is the, the, the added thing as well that a lot of those tickets going to Australia will probably end up on Irish hands, you'd imagine? Well, you hope so. I mean, this is definitely the start of our um, everybody hates us, we don't care yeah. bunker mentality. We're getting we're getting screwed by the Australians already. It hasn't even started. Mm. Can you imagine what the level of tension is going to be when it comes to refereeing decisions? True. Yeah, yeah. Get, get in their heads early. We're is watching it, Australia. Australia or FIFA we're getting screwed by. Or both. Oh, well, like, I mean, obviously it's... It's obviously FIFA, but we'll take it out. We'll blame anyone. We'll blame anyone, for sure. Like, that's not how this works. <laughs> Covering logic to this. Yeah, of course. Um, but apparently that's the, that's the allocation that you get when you're a, you're a minnow, is it? Oh, am I... Yeah, I guess so, but I don't think it, it's just anything personal to do with Ireland. I mean, like Kathleen was saying pre-show, this is definitely a FIFA thing, and Ireland are just one of the many victims. Um, but, like, you know, there was a purchase link provided for uh, successful applicants for tickets and many supporters are left disappointed when they try to buy tickets straight away because I mean 1,700 people I'd love to hear from anyone as, uh, the like in the comments has anyone got a ticket this morning like for, for, the, for, the, for the opening game because they've been put on sale haven't they as you said so um, haven't heard of anyone I know a lot of people down in Australia at the moment and all of them looking for tickets but haven't heard of one person be successful yet from an Irish perspective like we all want to head over there in, in June don't we is it June or July July start August July. It's July, August. July 20th, yeah, yeah, yeah. July 20th is the first game, yeah. Um, well, we're going all the way until August, though. Of course, but it's the anniversary of the moon landing, July 20th, so that's why I ah, keep okay. remembering it. All right. Yeah. Sticks in my head. It's a big day in the Hannah House. All right. Um, <laughs> did, our daily Evan Ferguson update, is everybody ready? Are you ready for this? Let's do it. How, how, how good do you think this is going to be? We should have a sting in Evan Ferguson. We should sting. have like a an, an Fer- Fergusonometer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fergie to Fergie time. Oh, yeah. We, worked, we got there at the end we worked up that Pascal Gross German footballer obviously not, not prone to uh, outrageous hyperbole and outbursts mm. we keep getting we keep getting shit from people watching this and on social media for being excited about this yeah what's wrong with you 
Yeah. It's like, oh, God bless him. He'll never survive this hype. I'm like, well, you'll never survive people being excited for his success. <laughs> like, so we're supposed to be grudging his success. Like, our national characteristic is supposed to, we're, 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 we're damping everything down for fear that we might somehow be disappointed in the future. Yeah, be terrible. Our, our audience is warning us not to get too excited because well, they're, 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 they're using excited. the Aaron Connolly, they're using the Aaron Connolly example against us. The world is the hurtling towards its conclusion. You only live once. Yeah, but you've said that for the last five years. But the world oh, is literally sure, yeah. hurtling towards its own conclusion and we're supposed to be like, oh yeah. Well, As in the, the planet is supposed, dying. I suppose the weather's a bit better but actually, you know, everybody around the world is starving and dying and disease is rampant. Um, we, we should not enjoy football I like that link the planet's dying so let's let's get excited about yeah come on yeah, it's going to be one of the last things that we remember yeah um, <laughs> Pascal Gross a man not noted for his overstatement yeah he reckons Evan Ferguson won't be the only Irish teenager lighting up the Premier League in Brighton this year oh. right former Bray Wanderers midfielder Andrew Moran who's 19 dubbed the Irish Phil Foden by his ex-Brighton coach which we didn't make a big enough deal out of at all <laughs> Doesn't made his Premier League debut as a sub against Everton midweek and Gross said they're both doing really well in training every day they're both great great young players now he's, he's obviously a student of Irish football he knows the difference you, you call somebody great in Ireland it's a big big deal oh yeah Dolphy and Giles they had the whole great good not great thing it's, it's, it's like a, the inside of a stick of rock in Irish football Pascal Gross knows this mm-hmm. he's a student of the game fair in your first Premier League games, maybe the nerves can affect you, but Evan played a great game. A great game. He's fighting. Fighting Irish. Bit of a bit of a cliche there. Oh. Yeah, bit, of, bit of national stereotyping, Pascal. We'll let you away with Paddy's that one. Days coming up as this well. Once. He's playing good football and he fits right into the team. Andy is a brilliant player as well and I'm really pleased that he got his debut. I mean, come on. I was speaking with um, Dan McDonald about this and he's going to come Phil on... Phil Foden and Lewandowski. He's going to come on in a couple of weeks to talk about these lads at Brighton. Mm. He's seen a lot of them. Brilliant. So, going to have a good analysis about that. But it's, that is very exciting. The future of football is very exciting in that sense. I'd say... Um, very exciting. Do you know what this would be now? If Ireland... Uh, Ireland play France very soon. And if this is back in the Dunphy and Giles days, what would happen is France might give us a hockeying there, three or four nil. And then afterwards, there'd be a big existential crisis... And then, you remember Dunphy used to always call for Stephen Quinn to be in the team. That was his big thing. Get young Stephen Quinn in, right? But nowadays he'd be like, get those Brighton lads into the team straight away. But, but we'd actually have something tangible to hold on to here. We really do have players coming through now. Whereas it was dark days for the last 10 years. Under the, under the last days of Dunphy and Giles and RT. Do you remember that? Mm. Do you remember they'd have these crisis talks every time we get a hammering? Yeah. And there'd be nobody Always. coming through. Yeah. Is this not the best we've had? 100%. Since, I, I actually uh, think. 2002? I'm not getting too excited, but I think in, a, in two years' time when you Google Andy Moore and you won't get the former male footballer of the year, now Leitrim Ooh, manager, you'll get. Shots fired. You'll get Brighton midfielder. Andy Moore's like I used to be a friend of yours. S, I think the Google SEO will slowly go change by Andrew, his, though, to yeah. differentiate himself. Well, Pascal called him. Uh, Andy there, didn't he? He did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So maybe they know him as Andy in training. Andy Moran. Patrick Gross is 31. He's not, he's not prone to hyperbole. I'm telling you. Yeah. We are, obviously. So 31-year-olds aren't Why, 31 wouldn't be, but... Well, he's, 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 yourself he's, he's and Daniel Craig are. Grizzled veteran, mm. Pascal Gross is. What I'm saying, he's seen everything at this stage. Yeah. He's seen the Johnny come lately. He's seen your Aaron Connolly's come and go. But these two, they're here for staying. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Confidence. I was getting hate in the comments, in the YouTube comments yesterday for... Uh, like a chain in the corner talking to Toto Scalacci pretending he was pretending he remembers Italian ID uh, you probably don't remember Italian ID do you? I know I don't but I, as I pointed out in the comments re- replying to someone I said it's a generational trauma yeah 
No, if we, people remember Italian Night. You don't have to be al- have been alive to remember it. Uh, a different kind of sense. What do you watch reading in the years? Of course. But when you see the game, you realise it wasn't really a, a generational trauma at all. It was like um, yeah, but not yeah, true. It was a getting get to the last eight was pretty significant in itself. Yeah, there was a, probably an easier path to the final. Um, mm. That was a very good team. Could have gone a bit further. But yeah. for the style of football. True. Um, Ender there in the comments saying a lot of Irish fans in Sydney would have put in as Australia on the FIFA website knowing uh, that they'd have a better chance of getting tickets. Cute. Happen all tournament rules, Australian rules over the years or international rules over the years. Um, that makes sense. That might be the way to get it, yeah. Anthony Ryan above saying 4% ridiculous but I expect the stadium will have 10 to 15% Irish fans which yeah. is an uh, in, indirect connection to Ender's comment there. Yeah, I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if it didn't work out in the end in favour for the Irish. It always does. Brian Cody's back in management. Yeah, this is. Um, what, <laughs> it's funny because he'd obviously been involved with James Stevens, which is his hometown club, um, his home club. Yeah. Um, during the uh, club championship in Kilkenny, we, we kind of saw this that he'd been co opted in as a selector, but mm. I think the speculation about him, he'd been very involved. And so now there's no selector. He's just going to be the manager. I, I, I like the idea of the, the manager of, of James Stevens be, giving a 10 minute team talking at the end. <laughs> Brian, did you want to add anything in there? A couple of words? Yeah, I got, let's give it your, give it your all. Um, I mean, that's what a selector does. But I, I don't think Brian would have been too quiet in those. So he's set to become manager for the second time, having also taken charge in the mid-1990s. Obviously, uh, a different Cody at that stage. For the village. This is Michael Verney's story here, saying that um, it's going to be full-time. I love him saying his son, German as well, who was captain of fullback last, last season, uh, is gone travelling, so won't be involved next year. If your dad's in, in charge, you don't want to stay, stay put. I don't know. Let hard. Dad, like, what what if he drops you? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd probably stay away for that reason. Yeah. He's younger than I thought, 68. Go for another while yet. Mm. Um, it'd be tough your dad being your coach my my sister was once taught by my mum mom in primary school for one whole year I think it's difficult it's difficult it's similar with, with the, if your dad or your mother is your your manager at a club level in sport that's tough it is tough but there's, there's obviously claims of nepotism if you're getting picked and if you're not getting picked there's trouble at home it's tougher if your teammates Ida Gudjansson made his uh, senior debut in professional football replacing his dad there you go match in Iceland yeah you know it can work out but I mean it's a difficult one I think yeah yeah um, now you're probably thinking Jesus what am I going to watch on Netflix now over the next week now the Christmas is over and how will I get through January Breakpoint yeah yeah Tennis's answer to Drive to Survive premiering next week Not this day next week Point Break the 13th of uh, January part one it's going to be very exciting and of course in 10 days time the Australian Open starts mm. might be without Emma Raducanu who's got injured yesterday sorry they've been very smart I've, I've seen the, the episode list for uh, Point Breakpoint and um, Nick Kyrgios is the first episode yeah, they're like, right, we'll draw you in with a bit of Nick and we'll keep you here with a bit of Nick. He's already alluded to that in social himself, yeah. saying that they're using me a lot, I see. I was, I was so surprised that he was that cooperative with it. Mm. I thought he'd be, he's so anti-establishment that he wouldn't want to have anything to do with Netflix. Yeah, But I'm surprised. He was like, Nick yeah, yeah, follow me not around. Anti- he's not anti-establishment. He's, he's a bit of a narcissist, a bit of an attention seeker who's very talented. Like, uh, Surely you have admit, can admit that there are some uh, issues there, but equally he just wants to be loved. Yeah, at the at deep down core of Nick Carriott, he just wants to be loved. Oh, I think that's on the surface that he wants to be loved, but uh, I deep down, I didn't think he'd cooperate with uh, the man well, so you much. Don't do you get paid the players? No, uh, yeah, of course they do. They do, yeah. Uh, well, like, I mean, well, I don't know, but uh, of course they do. Uh, I don't know. No. Uh, the, like, I'm sure they cooperate, but they might get favourable treatment. Uh, well, maybe that's it. And they also they get uh, branding and exposure, and they get paid by their sponsors extra for being. In it. It's like how much did the logo show? The logo showed a lot. Have you know? Just uh, can I bring up the fact that. There's been a fashion change mid-show. You might not have noticed this, but uh, Colm has taken the cardigan off oh. mid, um, 
mid morning. So the milk tray, I don't know if the, it was the milk tray comment that, that made him take it off. No, this seat is just so unusual, like, because you start off cold and it gets warmer as you go on. Just the exact seat here, but E over there would be temperate. Yeah, yeah. It's a similar jumper to, to Jer's, actually, in colour. Microclimates so. of the OTB studio. Yeah. It's a Friday. Is not everybody not happy about life? Um, I like it. You're, you're a young man, Shane. Can you explain? Relatively speaking, yeah. Can you explain to me, what's a truple? A truple? Couple with three people in it. Apparently it is, yeah. Is it a is it a thing? Yeah, apparently it's a thing, yeah. Uh, uh, things are progressive now nowadays. Phil uh, Egan showed me this this morning. Is that um David Hay? David Hay, yeah. Oh. Yeah, he showed me this. David Hay and Una Healy. The corridor. I saw a photo of, of Una Healy having dinner with David Hay and another uh, woman and I was thinking, Ah, they're friends. She was the trouble. But it's a trouble. Yeah it is, yeah. They're officially a trouble. Didn't hadn't heard this. I was too busy lapping up all the Prince Harry stuff. Of course couple of troubles in that too was there uh, a few oh my say. god yeah. I mean, back in the day wasn't that that was uh, Diana's main thing was that there was they were a trouble mm. she was just unaware of it at the time true yeah, yeah. Um, nice segue there there you go right it's uh, 7.58 this morning if you want to get in touch with us we'd love to hear from you 0879 is the WhatsApp number <laughs> you can leave a comment in the YouTube stream or you can get us however you normally get us uh, at Off The Ball AM Chris Carl says when Villa wave at Chelsea as we fly past them Potter will be gone no way when they're on the second page of the table that he survives yeah, I don't know. The, the old Yank owners, they tend not to be sacking you in the middle of the season. Very, very rare for that to happen. And certainly not for the first one to, like, for that to happen because they all think it looks bad on them. And for whatever reason, they, they believe in that stuff. Uh, we are going to take a quick break. A reminder, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. You're going to hear John Giles talking to Nathan about why Manchester United's midfield is better now with Casemiro and Ericsson. After that, we're back live with Alan Quinlan and Ron Nogara. OTB. All right, it's a minute past eight this Friday morning. I'm delighted to say we have Alan Quillen in studio and Ron Rogara on the line. Gentlemen, you're both very welcome. Um, Ron, I might start with you. Uh, was, it a, was it an open secret in rugby circles that Healy was going to go to Scotland? Were you aware of this from a way back or was it kind of relatively new news? No, very, very new. I first day I ever heard of it, obviously, I'm removed from Munster now. Um, uh, no, I read it on Twitter, was it two days ago? Um, I I missed the initial. I heard uh, rumors of going to Glasgow. Wasn't there approach during the summer? Yeah. Uh, uh, but um, obviously that that's par for the course in in rugby nowadays. That there'll always be uh, potential signings. But uh, it's gone to the uh, other extreme now, where it's a done deal, and um, obviously declaring for Scotland, which is uh, it's big big news. What did you make of it? Um, I I can understand uh, where Ben is Ben is coming from. I think um, it's very very competitive in Munster in Ireland, uh, but he is still very young with low mileage, uh, with a huge capacity. I think to get better, um, but obviously I think he's. Um, being enticed by uh, Gregor Thongson and the fact that this is his World Cup probably in, in 10 months' time. There's, um, it's probably been sold to him and the fact that a, a nice file with uh, Finn Russell and I suppose the stability, solidity, game management of Ben Healy with the maverick approach of uh, Finn Russell seems to go well for a 23-man squad. Obviously, Hastings is injured for the Six Nations, which... Uh, could open the door, but uh, it's a, it's a big big decision for a young player. Um, 
you know, I remember going back uh, donkey's years. I met um, Eddie O'Sullivan when he was coaching the U.S. Eagles, and I was in that position where uh, you're, I was kind of trying to convince myself I could play for uh, play for Carcon and represent America at, at national level. <laughs> but thankfully, I, I didn't make that decision because once you make that, you can't turn it back, and it's it's a huge, huge. Um, moment for the player and, and for Ben and the emotions involved and with his family involved and that it's a big 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 call and um, um, you know as we know the show goes on but when you put it in his situation that's a massive massive I suppose decision for any young player to make yeah it, it seems like it's a permanent decision being made about maybe a short term problem at not getting into the team at the moment Quinny yeah, it, it was, um, to be honest, I, I think his head was turned. He's obviously probably getting a good um, contract uh, salary as well, but um, it's, I wouldn't say it's kind of thrown in the towel. And, and, uh, but it is a bit, isn't it? That kind of expression is probably a wrong expression, but it feels a little bit like you'd love to, to kind of him to have an attitude of saying, well, okay, I have a little bit of a dip in form here and behind. Um, behind a little bit here and Roger will know himself from playing with Munster particularly in the back row when I played there we all had moments where our periods where we weren't in the team what, David Wallace came back from 2001 Lions Tour and he was playing with Gary Owen a few months later um, Leamy came on the scene Jim Williams was there I was there Axel a um, lot of a lot more depth in the back row and Wally was playing with Gary Owen for a few months so you know you you have dips like that particularly for a young player um who, you know, propelled himself on the scene in the last kind of year and a half of of his ability to kick long range penalties, a lot of composure, control. Um, I'm I'm surprised, you know, I'm surprised that um, because it's, other opportunities will come as regards bigger contracts, you know, like to go to go to France in in another. It's it's a really really big decision, but he obviously feels that. Um, the door is closing a little bit more and closed. He's not thrown in the towel though. If he feels more Scottish, how does he feel Scottish? He's from Tipperary, Shane. I know. You but, know what I mean? But he's he's is one of his grandparents are Scottish. They've been you know putting the squeeze on him. It, it, it was going on last year as well with Glasgow, and and fair play. You know Scotland. Gregor Townsend has obviously convinced him that he can develop his game, do something with him, and. I'm not saying it's the wrong call. I, I admire him for being brave about it. For me personally, I would have loved to, the, the kind of, you see, it's a, it's a very short, it's a very short career as well. So he stays on for another two years, a year or two, and suddenly he's 25, 26. The opportunities don't come around and it's the same in coaching as well. So sometimes you've got to just go with your gut. He's done that. Um, it's a big call and it's a, it's a pity for Irish rugby that, it's happened. I, you know, in an ideal world, from an Irish rugby point of view, go to Connacht, go to Ulster, start there, play against Carberry, play against Jack Crowley. You know, Johnny Sexton is leaving next year, so the the, the gap we're always talking about. It's now. It will be a more even playing field next year. So um, they've turned his head and he's made the decision. And and fair play to the team for being brave for that. I would have liked to have seen him stay and. Um, fight it out a little bit but I do understand in a sense that 
Um, there's a frustration probably there the way things have turned out in the last couple of months for him. Ronan, you guys were linked with one of the young ones, Dread Halves, taking them, trying to take them on loan about a year ago. Is that right? Was it was it Crowley or no, was not, it? Not not take them on loan, sign them. Jack right. Crowley. It was Crowley. Okay. So you obviously scouted the Munster Red Halves and were looking to see. Um, yeah, of course I did. Exactly. I just probably there was a Carcon connection there. It was more. Uh, uh, you know what I mean? I would rate Don Lennon's opinion on rugby because um, I worked with him over a long. He was my coach, my manager, kind of a mentor. And uh, it's weird, but a second row, I felt uh, a very good connection with him. And obviously, he looked after me and bringing me up in con in that regard and kind of, I suppose, grew me well. So he recommended this guy from Band and Grammar. And I had kind of watched him and watched footage of him. I thought. And I thought he was good, but from my point of view, he was more um, as a number two, you know, who can I get someone to that I can maybe get eight or ten games a year out of. Um, um, and the situation in Munster is, is, isn't is clear-cut about, uh, there's three very, very good number tens, but three in, in very good number tens doesn't work. And it's not really of any interest what our opinion uh, on it is, Jar, it's it's got to do with what Ben Healy, you know what I mean? Boys are talking about throwing in the towel. Uh, I don't think Ben Healy would would be throwing in the towel. I think he's presented with a set of circumstances of consequences in front of him, and he has decided to do this. So um, I think it is very interesting when you look at it like that because he may feel that no matter how he plays, whether it's right or wrong, that the door is closed in front of him and his, his progress in Munster or in Ireland is blocked and he wants out. Does that, Ronan, highlight the, one of the major difficulties in managing an Irish province? You have to deal with these sorts of things and dilemmas of keeping players involved uh, it, within the country and it, it certainly is something that's it's unique. It's in, it's in every club, in every sport, in every, all around the world. That's, that's the reality of what happened. The club sees it one way, a player sees it very differently at times and and I see that on a on a on a daily basis, and that's something you what you have to manage. Uh, in this situation, Munster will feel pretty loaded in the fact that they have Carberry and Crowley, and um, Ben Healy has decided to take a different route. It's a professional sport; it's quite ruthless at the top, uh, and that's that's the decision. Sometimes these things there doesn't need to be any blood blood whatsoever. It's just the way uh, I suppose the um, the market works. Alan, one of the things that we've um, given Andy Farrell a lot of credit for is spotting talent, taking players who might not be even first choice of the province and making them first choice for Ireland. You think of Gibson Park and there's a few examples in the, the second row and even in the back row where they pick players and they put them in. Healy didn't get that opportunity really to shine with Ireland at the senior level, which would suggest they don't think that this is a significant loss in terms of the talent pool or that they feel like they're loaded as well at Ireland level. Yeah, well, it was... Uh, Obviously, with emerging Ireland, he wasn't picked to go on that tour to South Africa. And um, I, I feel if this was Leinster, um, and it's not a monster Leinster thing, but you know, even during our successful time and, and when we were we had a really strong squad in Munster and we were winning European Cups, even guys on you know on the fringes of that squad or younger players coming through, they didn't want to leave because they wanted to be part of. This was a winning team, and it was there was a kind of. Um, 
there was a good badge of honour in a sense being being part of a very very strong squad in a sense that your marketability even was still quite high even if you weren't getting a lot of games you were still part of a Munster squad that's happening with Leinster you know there's certain players in Leinster who are second third choice and they're still part of a really strong squad of players that still makes them quite marketable to teams in France and UK and wherever um, they don't play the same number of games. So Munster's a little bit different at the moment, that their path is obviously different. So um, he, I think he had a surge up, didn't he, you know, in the last year and a half, two years. Um, but the evolution of his game and taking it to the next level has been restricted by playing two games, not playing for another four or five, then the the, the nature of it here. So, you know, he... he He's at a point where someone like Rog or Gregor Townsend or who's top class international experience, they get their hands on this guy. And that I think probably is 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 what's turning this here. And it's a different pathway. It's a very brave one. And um it's a shame that he's gone, but he hasn't been called into an Irish squad or, or trained with him. So that would indicate that um they are if you were happy enough for this to happen. Well I would I wouldn't no. say they're happy. I'd say they but would they have loved him to go to, to Connacht or Ulster. They didn't do enough to stop it. They didn't like say, Okay, look, you know, you're definitely a major part of our plan. Well the there's, a, there's a there's a you know, Munster tried to keep him, but they wouldn't have been able to offer him two hundred grand a year. You know what I mean? It's just if not, you it's could not if they wanted to. It's like you're creating a precedent there. You are, but you're, you're deciding that like we You're you're offering guys who are, are not starting on their provincial teams that kind of money it's just not sustainable or it's not right and and you know we've so much so many positives about the model here and the way it goes and envy from a lot of clubs okay uh, no, I just want to bring Ronan in on that like we, we so Munster feel pretty loaded they've got two out halves now right um, but like say uh, Crowley developed into a world class 12 which is potential but it's unlikely but you know there's certainly th- there are games at the moment where we're seeing Carberry play 10 and Crowley's also on the pitch at the same time then all of a sudden if one of those gets injured you don't have any replacements and like when Sexton goes which may well be at the end of the World Cup um, after that all of a sudden we have a, a, a tier of players who are all very very similar from Ross Byrne and Harry Byrne and Kieran Frawley and uh, the three lads at Munster, and that's it. We don't have a like. They no have Tony Butler coming through as well in the academy, who's a very exciting player in Munster. You know, so they obviously feel comfortable enough that he. Well, I think, be yeah, well, next look, season, the uh, Champions played. Cup semi-final level. Do you know that's what you're. There's a real danger here. Yeah, there's a real danger. Sorry, I interrupted Rog there, like, but there is a real danger. And Roger, you probably know this yourself, Rod. You need. It's like. Look at Manchester United signing Jack Butland and Ten Hags and we need three t- goalkeepers. Mm. You need three fly halves in the squad as well. But the most important thing is if the player wants to do something, the player wants to do something. So Ben has decided, no one else has decided to sign for Edinburgh or Scotland. Ben Healy has decided to do that. You know, We can discuss and debate the I suppose the threats and the opportunities and the challenges involved in this decision, but ultimately it's his decision. He has seen a kind of a pathway to play test rugby by taking this route. Do we know whether it'll work out? Will Munster miss him? Will Ireland miss him? That's all to be decided. It's very hard to speculate when, uh, you know what I mean, there isn't probably an established uh, pecking order at Munster. Uh, of lately, it's probably Carberry, Crowley, Healy, I would think, but... Uh, with 
the rugby I have seen, it's probably no one has, I suppose, dictated where they started five games in a row. It's um, Crowley, Crowley, maybe Carberry, 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 one game, Ben Healy. Very, very difficult to establish a rhythm, a uh, pecking order when, when when it's like that. And But then that's how you manage your players too. But then all of a sudden the system gets a jolt when, when, when one of the, uh, I suppose, guys with a lot of potential decides to leave. But um, When you're, Rog, when you're trying to sign a player yourself in that position... Um, and I think this where this is where Gregor Townsend is a significant part of this to actually get a player and, and you probably know this from yourself when you sit down and talk to someone you, you've got to sell them a plan and say this is where we're going and this is how I view you mm-hmm. so I think Gregor Townsend has had a real major impact obviously he's a fly half as well if you were trying to sign Bell Healy his argument to anyone else would be well Ronan O'Gara has been there done that Gregor Townsend has do you rely on that to tell a player a story that this is where I want you, this is how I see you, this is how I view you? And and for me, it would convince me if the coach, if some other coach says, I want you, I believe in you, and this is what I'm going to do with you, as opposed to Graham Rountree is not in that situation or my Prendergast at the moment where they can't, their their argument is 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 doesn't have the same weight. I think it does. I think it does. I think what's, I suppose, interesting in this case, Quinny, is that you're not talking about a confirmed player. You're talking about a player with a lot of potential. That's a dangerous conversation with uh, with younger players because you begin using the words but and if you progress and hit your potential. We don't know where his limit is. While the same could be be said in, um, in, in his growth in Munster and with Ireland. Uh, but like, there's obviously a good reason why he hasn't been called into the Irish camp because it's the best two uh, or three every time for 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 test selection. He isn't in that category yet. In uh, uh, Ireland's depth chart is a lot greater than Scotland, so hence his progress to into the top two or three in Scotland will be accelerated, and he'll probably hit that within the next two months. So, uh, but I think. Um, for all younger players and for any players, it's it's very important that they have a an appreciation of the bigger bigger picture because things change. As you say, post World Cup, the situation in Ireland will be very very different in terms of uh, the capacity to lead the ten the team at number ten because there's going to be a huge uh, opening there with um, yeah. with Johnny stepping aside. And look, you know, Gregor Townsend might not be the Scotland coach after the World Cup. If things go well for him, great. But if things go badly, the Scottish press have no loyalty to him whatsoever. He'll be a blow-in that was grandfathered in and an easy scapegoat. He, like hasn't, the, he hasn't played for Scotland yet. No. He might not play for Scotland. Has he con- come on and confirmed that this is... Well, that's obviously... It's right. pretty I mean, obvious you're, that you're this You're out is of the Ireland setup. I have one last question on this to wrap this part of it up. In five years' time, Ronan, when you're the Ireland coach and Ben Healy is kicking 15 points against you... And I'm your manager, Rog. In, in Murrayfield, <laughs> who will you be swearing against? Will it be him or will it be the IRFU? What are you doing, lads? Why did you let this happen? Um, that's, that's exactly what... Um, you know I mean go, goes through your head with, the, with a lot of with a lot of these things. It's it's a it's a and very interesting call uh, because I I would have thought with especially with my Prendergast in in Munster his um, 
his, I suppose, um, career path would have been very well mapped and his capacity to progress as a, with a half-back coach essentially would be accelerated. But uh, he obviously has deep frustrations about something and he's decided to, to go this way. Um, but, um, yeah, if, if, if I'm there in court in five years and he's kicking 15 points against me... Um, means I'll have to score a lot of tries against him. <laughs> it's, uh, we, we we have to accept this and, and wish him well because um, we, we, we accept it the other way, don't we? Just not in Gibson the game against Park, us in the World Cup. Bundiaki, him and John Cooney running in three tries in 15 minutes at the end be like, ah, lads. Irish qualified guys. Anton no, Frisch because is, like, it's, it's, that's, that's exactly what you want. Sure. That's, that's, not, that's not a threat. If, if Cooney and Healy are the starting halfbacks, for Scotland in the World Cup, I can be pretty sure that a lot of players in Ireland will be licking their lips at taking on and breaking down that halfback combination. That's the other side of it. You know, it doesn't come into the heads of Josh van der Fleer uh, that Ben Healy is playing. This is an opponent in front of him. Whether he's, you know, what I mean, Ben Healy from Tipperary or Ben Healy from Zimbabwe, and he's playing in a Scottish jersey or from Glasgow, it's the exact same. He's got to prepare a plan to, to destroy what's in front of him. And if it's Cooney and Healy as the halfback for Scotland, I think Ireland would very much fancy their chances. Yeah, it has to be as ruthless as that, really. And um, and we expect it will be. Uh, Ronan, before we let you go, uh, the last game before Christmas for La Rochelle was a defeat. Uh, how quickly were you able to park that and have the crack at Christmas? Santa didn't come to Cork. You <laughs> <laughs> won against Perpignan last week, so that was... Uh... That, that, that's always easy with hindsight. The, the, it was set up for a great Christmas back home uh, for two days, but once the 23rd happened, I felt like cancelling Christmas, came home, travelled on my home, and um, yeah, it was a, 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 an angry, grumpy Father Christmas. But um, You still had the darts though, Ronan. <laughs> oh, what about that the other night, Shane? Fantastic! I had to bring the it greatest, up. Jared, Jared's going to kill me for bringing it up. The greatest leg ever. The greatest leg ever. It was unbelievable, wasn't it? Oh wow, jeez, I loved it. <laughs> the we got to go. Let's get the uh, let's get the off the ball fun bus. Let's get a podcast from the alley. Hundred <laughs> percent. We have Michael Smith coming on the show now the week after next. So I think we should go to Ali Pally next year as a group. No, we should bring the show to Michael Smith. 100%. All right, this Ali is the greatest roadshow idea you've ever had. Yeah, December, Ali Pally, let's go. Uh, back to Absolutely. the rugby, you've to lose tomorrow now. What about that? What's going to happen there? <laughs> Hold on there, there's a bit of outside noise coming in the street, Yeah, to lose, they're not great, are they? Well, sorry, one last question. Should Ireland be doing more to attract the, the Brennan boys? I mean, we've, we've heard that they might want to play for France instead, but should we be doing what Scotland have just done to us? with the Brennan lads yeah but like I think and I see it with my own thing school is so powerful the, the, Trevor's in Toulouse for over 20 years Trevor's kids are French all his mates are French he's come up through the French schooling system he, he has developed relationships family bonds uh, fraternity with these guys that he's playing with week in week out with Toulouse underage and then up to uh the Marcosi with the French team, like you, the I, I meet Trevor regularly and I see him a lot. And he's, you wouldn't get a better Irishman. But in terms of where his kids are at, his kids are are, are French. They want to play for France. 
Are you? Stick and try and turn his head. You it's exactly the thing. It's it's not what your dad wants to do. It's not what the system wants to do. It's what these are their own people. They make their own decisions. And I think when you're outside of Ireland, you can uh, appreciate that. that you know I mean, they've they never went to school in France. They've never. I'm sorry, in Ireland, they've never played in Ireland. Yes, their dad is Irish, but these guys are. Are, are it's French like you, you mean Josh when he speaks they, they don't you wouldn't know he's Irish no um, are you telling us there breaking the news to us that your five are all going to play for France is that the no minor minor <laughs> minor minor different because I'm coming back you know <laughs> uh, um, but it's I see it you know as I I'm you know, talking to you about the like in the in the World Cup at the minute obviously they think their team is France I'm there we don't focus, support France. Our team is Ireland, but there, that's <laughs> how do you explain to them? Ireland aren't in the World Cup; they just don't understand it. You know? Yeah, it's tough. It's a, you got your uh, you got your job cut out here on, on many <coughs> multiple fronts. Just make sure they don't play for France. You'll be grand. You'll be welcome back at any point there, Ronan. When you know what I mean? when when Ugo is on when we're on first name terms at Ugo, I was there. U- who's Ugo? Ugo Loris. I was there. Who is Ugo Loris? <laughs> and he was there. Um, because he's the teammate of Harry Kane, you know, and uh, oh, that day he was never going to get that penalty because Ugo knew what he was going to do, and I was there. It was Ugo. <laughs> well, but that's what they talk about in the schoolyard, and 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 it's 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 an example for the I think for the Brennans, you know, they've played all. They've, even though they're still young and they could play for Ireland, I think. Uh, they want to play for France first. All right, Ronald, we we'll let you go. Good stuff. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. Good to chat. The other side of that, obviously, is, of course, uh, Andy Farrell's youngest son is living in Ireland, growing up in Ireland, in the Ireland school system at the moment. So we take him. <coughs> if the swings and roundabouts are that we lose the Brennan kids, but we get Andy Farrell's son, we'd be happy. Yeah, and, and it, that's how it's working with Ben Healy. And I, I made the point that, you know, it works both ways. It's all about timing and stuff like that. Um, Trevor's two sons are doing really well. And there's a, there's another one on the... Uh, uh, Making strides as well, so it's. Um, is there a third one? Yeah, I th- I'm. I'm nearly sure there is. Um, but Joshua, uh, uh, he's he's the second row back row who's doing, you know, playing. He's in that Toulouse squad and he's doing very very well there. So um, I'm sure Ireland and the RFU will be looking at that situation. It's all about timing, really, isn't it? It is about timing. I'm, I'm, <coughs> Excuse me. Making the point as well that. Um, it's about marketing. Like uh, the two lads arriving back into Irish rugby will be a massive boost for whatever province gets them. <coughs> you can build a lot around that. Excuse we'll, me. We'll get you a drink. An awful we'll dose of, the co- of a cough. You're grand. Uh, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. If you want to get involved in the conversation, 087 180 is the WhatsApp number. Or, of course, you can always leave a comment on the YouTube stream. Will we let you go? Are you? No, I'm fine. I'm yeah, grand. okay. <laughs> uh, the URC fixtures this week, it's kind of um, like. At some level, we're waiting for the teams who are in the European Cup to get some form together for Connacht, though. Every single match really matters now because their form has been so chaotic. Yeah, it's 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 a difficult one um, for them. They've shown us glimpses of how good they can be when they hold on to the ball and they attack, but um, they've got the Sharks at home now, and that's it's a must, must, must win game for them. You know, they've lost seven in, in, in the league, and um, it's the pressure is kind of mounting there on them that their season is going to kind of peter out. They don't make Europe, they don't make playoffs. Um, they're in the Challenge Cup, 
good start there with the win in Newcastle, win in Breve. Um, but they want to get into Europe and they need to go on a run now in the league and it's imperative that they get a result this weekend against the Sharks who are a very, very powerful, strong side. Um, it's going to be difficult for them tomorrow but um, they've got to get a win. They've got to get some consistency in their game and they've got to make the sports ground a really difficult place and, and just start picking up wins there really quickly. It, it, it has to turn around for them as you say, otherwise it's going to be a, a lost season and with a, a coaching ticket turnover, we don't think it's going to be turned over significantly, but that's just another period where you were waiting for something to happen and it didn't happen and it's really disappointing. Yeah, and it's... it's we, we, you, you, you have to give Connacht a lot of plaudits for, for the ambition, the way they play. The restrictions they have around squad numbers and depth and marquee signings and all that kind of stuff... Um, they've got to make do sometimes with what they have, and um, they've done remarkably well. But it's you, you think to attract more players, even younger players from within Ireland. Um, we're talking about the Ben Healy thing. You know, would would he have went there and taken on Jack Carty for that the the, the out half spot there? Would that been a, an, a possibility? Um, I'd love to have seen Ben Healy stayed. Do we think he got offered? A I think he got offered big money in in Connacht. And Ulster or Ulster because Ulster don't have a good at half at the moment who we think is in, is in competition. I think the opportunity the IRFU would gladly have have. Um, Do we think they had that conversation? I with don't him? know. It's it's speculation, but I think to keep Ben Healy, Healy within the system, there would have been the obvious choice. It would have been mad would have been not Ulster to have that conversation. Or Connacht, yeah, and and you know put him into one of those places. But anyway, um, you know, for Connacht, it I think. You know, for them to get into the playoffs, that has to be the target. They've met, met it really. You know, it's 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 a tough run for them. Andy Andy Friend is leaving at the end of the season. They've a lot of good players. Um, are they still a little bit underpowered up front? Probably. Um, they've a lot of quality there and, and really exciting young players and the, and the way they play. But it comes down to results, Ger, and they've got to beat the Sharks and and try and get dare I say five points against them tomorrow alright Quinny we leave it there for now we talked again on Monday thanks Cheers. very much for that uh, now we're going to hear from Nathan in just a moment talking about how his uh, obsession with football manager nearly ruined his life and after that we're going to be talking with Clare legend David Tuberty I thought you couldn't go longer than six what EU law or something well they can oh, do what they want now that's probably it they can do what they want I just go by what I like football manager rules <laughs> <laughs> Oh well, then. No, but I did. I did think it was. I thought. I thought it was basically a five year or to the end of the season on the sixth year was the rule. But obviously, that might it might be a post Brexit thing that's changed that actually. I so danger danger here. Uh, one of my children got an Xbox for Christmas, and Football Manager is on the Xbox, freely available oh. to player to play. And I I think I've discussed this before how I had to get my wife to physically break my Football Manager copy in front of me about ten years ago. <laughs> Because it had got to the stage, obviously working in this profession, I was starting to get confused between <laughs> what was Real, real life and what was <laughs> happening in my football manager game. And I'd be really annoyed at a certain player who had let me down. And I'd be bringing that up. Like, he's in terrible form. He hasn't scored in weeks. Going to have to sell him. I bought like, football manager for the first time in about 10 years, a year and a half ago. It was the summer. My wife was watching Love Island. It turns out that's on all the time it's on like every night for six and a half months mm. or something so I sort of said right I don't want to be like the anti-social person go into the other room and like play the playstation so I'll get football manager play it there like and sort of be in the same room 
I honestly didn't find it as alluring as I did really? many years before. Okay, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I just, I just, I got sick of it. To be honest, it's too, it's too technical and boring. It's like you just want to. Well, they've overcomplicated the matches. It. Yeah, they it's absolutely have. Like you my know. concern because it's more like being a real manager now. But that's a job. There's a reason they get paid for that. Like, like you know? New Year, New Me, and all that. And New Me really wants to sit down and see if I have the self discipline to, you know, at ten o'clock at night when the kids are going to bed, just play an hour of football manager. Yeah, and just go to bed. And then get up the next day and forget about it for two or three days. And I might go back and play another round in a few days. Whereas a be large honest, part just, of me all I need is feels... This, all I need is this kind of conversation. I'm very tempted to go and buy yeah. it tonight. I'm like, tomorrow morning, you know, <laughs> and it, I'm, I'm half online, but I'm also playing football manager. I won't know the players. Like, whatever happened to Erno Samba? Oh, the, the cheat codes almost. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know them. I'll go all the way I'm back so to the tempted, but I'm resisting. Maybe February I'll, I'll start playing. All right. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, We'd need to watch Nathan when he's working from home, I suspect. Video game addiction is real. Get that uh, keystroke thing that um, the CIA have. It's 8.32 this morning. (laughs) That took a turn, didn't it? OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now, we're turning our attention to Gaelic football, and I'm delighted to welcome David Tuberty to the show. David, good morning to you. How are you? How are you keeping? I'm very good. You're, You're now a former Clare footballer. I am. Unfortunately. <laughs> was it an easy decision in the end? Had you made your mind up at the start of last year that that was going to be your last year? Or was the end of the season like, okay, I've had enough of this? Um, I think it was probably more from the Derry game last year. I kind of, when you were walking off Pro Park, I kind of, something inside me probably told me that it was, that was kind of the, that was kind of it for me. And uh, uh, the last few months now, or not the last few months, I suppose the last few months I've, um, Coming and on and whether I'd stay on or not, and every day it'd be different whether I'd stay on. And but um, I finally just made the decision, and uh, I think I think it's the right decision for me anyway. Well, I was going to I was going to ask, like, was there a relief when you made the decision and started telling people, or was there a little bit of you thinking, actually, you know what, I was, I was still pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was. I suppose there was always people saying, "Oh, there's one more year in you, and there's one more year in you." But um, the, I think. Um, I think when I when I said it and told people that um, it was finally it, I I think there was a relief <clears throat> for me that because um, everybody was always coming up and asking me go on you stay on another year, but I just I think I think it was just I've six uh, fifteen sixteen years of it done now with Claire and um, I just I just felt that it was time. Is there a temptation there, David, with the condensed calendar to kind of stay on because you don't have to commit for for as long as you might have had to you know five ten years ago. Yeah, I suppose it's, it's shorter. Like as as a few of the boys were telling me, there's there's only uh, five or six months in it, and it's all over. Uh, where a couple of years ago, like you're starting back, and you start back nearly in October, end of October, and you're, you're going till July, August, um, which is a long year. Um, but um, there was that temptation of going for five months. Um, but I suppose I didn't have much training done up to up to now, and I think I would have been trying probably in catch-up at, at that time. Um, probably wouldn't have been ready for the first few league games. And um, and when when I want to play, um, I want to give it my all from the day one. I don't want to be coming in halfway through a, ch- a league or championship. David, your, your scoring record is phenomenal, like record-breaking. Um, was there extra pressure on you to perform when you were playing well? Like... This is kind of a, a, a double-edged sword where you're playing well and you've got responsibility and that's great and obviously you're you're doing great stuff for the team but with that then comes 
leadership even earlier in your career than maybe would be normal for somebody at your age when you do start to score heavily so early in your career? Um, I suppose I didn't really think of it that way. I suppose uh, um, I always thought I had a job to do and I'm picked inside the forwards to, to get the scores and to, to put up as many points as I could. Um, I just thought it that from day one that, that would have been me. But um, no, it's... It's tough. It's, it's a hard one from uh, from an early age and stuff like that. Trying, there's a lot of pressure on you. I remember my first day against Carlo above in Milltown that uh, I think I missed the 13-yard free. <laughs> and that was my first game out for Clare and um, um, it was a tough one that day. I think we lost by a few points but um, uh, that was a small bit of pressure but this, uh, you just get used to it. Was that the Tommy Murphy Cup? No, that was uh, my first uh, full year with Clare. Was the my first league game against Carlow right. in the National Football League? Yeah, uh, you'd had your debut the previous season under Pawdy, mm-hmm. had you? Yeah, my first game was against Tipperary in Ardfinnan um, in the Tommy Murphy Cup. Yeah, um, I was playing. To, I was playing with the Clare Juniors at the time. Um, we got to Munster final. We lost by point to Cork, and a few weeks later, I was called up into the panel uh, to play in the Tommy Murphy Cup and. Uh, delighted to get my my first uh, Clare appearance uh, under Paddy O'Shea. What was that like? Um, you know, because at, at that stage, Paddy's legend had been well established as player manager, and uh, and you know this is kind of um, it's it's a different stage of his career really. But there was a messiah feel to Paddy whenever he was doing anything. So what's that like for you as a, a junior footballer called into the senior team with a bit of a reputation, I suspect, locally anyway, as somebody who might be a significant part of Clare's future? Um, it was a huge call. I was, I was delighted. Um, I suppose uh, when Paddy O'Shea comes uh, calling on you to, to enter into the senior panel, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's an honour. Um, and just to listen to him talk in the dressing rooms before the games and stuff... Um, and I suppose in Ardfinnan, uh, just, just to watch him, uh, remember there was a lot of people out there watching him coming into the car park there that day, <laughs> just to see him. Um, uh, Tipperary supporters and Clare supporters, but um, just to just to play under Paddy was a it was an honour and um, uh, pity there was there wasn't another year in him. Yeah, absolutely, and you know the um, that that um, career that he had is obviously something that we we kind of. Um, in retrospect, really pay much more attention to and understand a bit more, and just the the knock on impact, the kind of ripple effect that he had in, in um, football generally. To, to I'm really interested in your view on how the game has evolved from the time when you make your debut um, to now, and the the changing role of uh, forwards in particular. Was there a period where it got less enjoyable, or actually was your role okay because you still had the responsibility to be on the end of moves? Um, I suppose. Halfway through my career, I suppose. Well, I say, I suppose uh, the division. I suppose division three and stuff like that. Uh, division four and three. Um, in uh, a few years ago, I suppose eight or nine years ago, they, they started bringing back in sweepers and crowd no defences, which was a bit frustrating. Um, there was always fellas sitting in front of you, and I suppose it was news to me. I was uh, seeing fellas standing in front of you, blocking your your pass to win the ball and stuff. Um, but it has evolved a, lot, a long way. Um, I think. Uh, I think these days, I think that the mark in the forwards, I think that should be got rid of. I say, um, it's just. I think it's 
talking from a forward, I think it's a bit unfair on the back. You, you like to see the forward win the ball and take on the man, and which we used to do years ago. Um, but um, now they can. The mark is kind of it's, it's a bit frustrating. It's a bit frustrating for um, the backs, um, but it has it, it's evolved a lot, a lot um, over the years. But um, no, it's it's uh, it's tough at the moment. It's tough to play inside the full forward line at the moment because there's you've, you've um, you're asked to track back and defend and come out to the 45 or come back to the halfway line, crowd out the team and or crowd out the opposition. Um, so things have changed a long time because the early days I probably wouldn't have passed the 20, 21 or the 30. <laughs> You get a nosebleed going back that far, I'd say, David, back in your early days. Uh, <laughs> asking me what I'm doing back there. That's <laughs> yeah, exactly. The the rule changes year on year. Like, is it tough for players to follow these consistent rule changes? Because even as a as a viewer, sometimes you're 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 starting off a league and championship year, going, "Geez, I don't know what the rules are anymore." Yeah, I suppose they're always been changed. Um, I suppose the I remember I came in the first year. I think there was a yellow card. Um, brought in and if you got a yellow card you were sin binned or something if you got two yellow cards so I remember we played Carlo that day and um, I think we were down to 13 men because we three people got yellow cards or something like that and then I, I don't know did they miss one or two games for us and they were the key players for us and we just we just didn't adjust it at that time um, but down through the years it's, it, it's always chopping and changing and uh, I suppose it gets frustrating for players Um I suppose the black card is probably a good rule that was brought in. Um, I think the forty-five from the, or the sorry, the kick out, the mark from the kick out is a great rule. But as I said, the the mark in the full forward line, I suppose it was intended to be brought in for say um, David Clifford's catch in the Ireland final last year. The the high ball he went up and he fielded it over his head. I think it was brought in for that. But you can see fellas and they're winning handy ball down around their toes and they're caught putting their hand up for a mark. I think. Uh, um, yeah, it's 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 chopping too much chopping and changing for me. Um, the uh, evolution in Clare football that you've seen from the bits where you you needed an outside manager to get a bit of attention to Colin Collins coming in and now being the longest serving intercounty manager I think there is in the game. Um, what what was it that Colin Collins brought that allowed the team to become an established Division Two team and really begin to dream about growing Clare football? Um, I suppose Colum Colum had um he was manager of Cracklow. Um he was uh, manager of the minor team, I think, um for Clare early on. And he kinda knew the I think he knew the underage in Clare football and the potential that's there and I think that's the difference between uh a homegrown manager and an outside outside manager because he knows the ins and outs of Clare football. He's uh Cracklow was a senior team. Um and then they played the the divisions, uh, the QZ Cup. They played, I suppose, Division 1, 2, 3 and 4. And like, he got to see all those players coming through, which was huge for uh, huge for us because we got a lot of young fellas coming through from, uh, I'd say, senior clubs. But um, earlier on, you've got the likes of Carl O'Connor, Jamie Malone came into the, the panel, which they wouldn't have been senior senior players. But um, you could see Cullum, Cullum saw that, uh, the potential in them players, and they brought him through, um, which was huge. And it was just, it was just, um, Colin was just organised from day one. I remember his first meeting um, in Innes that he just came in. He just goes, listen, as we're, we're a top 16 team. And um, he uh, just talked about how that's how good we we are, but we're not showing our potential. And 
you can see us now that a bit of organisation and um, you can see where Clare football is right now. We're, we're playing Division 2 football with the last uh, eight or nine years, or seven or eight years, I suppose. And uh, it's, it's great. It's great for the, the football in the county. Could you have foreseen, David, in 2007? Like, I'm sure it, over across 15 years in, in Gaelic football, even in terms of sports science and how, quote-unquote, professional the game has got, there's been remarkable changes. Um, unbelievable. <laughs> I suppose uh, the early days after a match, you'd win, you'd, you'd, uh, you'd win into, for the food after matches, you'd have a, a steak, a massive steak, like wouldn't you be able to eat it and stuff like that. And, um, the S&C coaches have come in. Um, I didn't really I didn't really start doing gym work, I suppose, until um, probably Michal McDermott came in uh, with Michal Cahill. He brought, that, was a, that was a proper first S&C coach came in and You've got dietitians, you've got psychologists, you've got um, you've got anything you want now that uh, you'll get. You've got a forwards coach, defensive coach, you've got coaches for here and there, um, and that's what Cullen has brought to Clare football. He's he's um, he's adapted to what the Kerrys and Dublins have have um, have been doing over the years, and we might uh, we're we're there uh, with all the, the backroom team. We've got all the backroom team analysis, everything. So. Um, uh, Clare's come a long way, and since I started off playing, did you embrace all that? Were you? Did you find that enjoyable and, and helpful? Oh, I did. Yeah, um, I was saying if I had the uh, what's the, as I said, the dietitians, S and C coaches that are there at the moment right now. I, uh, if I had that when I started off playing football, um, it would have been it would have been uh, way better. I think young lads these days get a get a, a massive advantage from where players started 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that we should talk to you about is the all-time scoring record in the in the National League. Um, GA records aren't brilliantly kept, but there was certainly this sense that what you were doing was fairly remarkable over the long period of time. At what stage did you become aware of this? Um, I suppose uh, I became aware of it uh, after the game. I think um, a, 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 a reporter here, Claire uh, Owen Brennan, came up to me and he just uh, said to me, he goes, uh, David, you realise what you've done? And I hadn't a notion what he, he was on about. And he goes, they were after becoming the all-time National League top scorer. And I just, it didn't really hit me um, at that point. Um, but um, I suppose one of the things that I saw on Monday morning uh, was your search and you're reading it out in the back of a newspaper, I think it was. But um, when, it, when I saw it in the newspapers the following day, I just realised uh, um, how big it was. I, I, I'm amazed. I thought that maybe, like you know, a couple of years back, you would have thought somebody would have pointed out to you, like, "Oh, that's I can I can go after that." But you didn't know about it at all. No, haven't clue. Right, so, Jesus. didn't even know. Didn't even know what I scored in the league, or didn't, <laughs> didn't know what I scored in the championship. Because like this is the thing, right? In American football, they would have a ceremony. They would have stopped yeah. the game for five minutes. There would have been like you know, uh, uh, red dancers carpet. on, and there would have been like confetti guns. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, there was nothing like that. I, I was. I was uh, you see in the NFL, I watch the NFL a lot, and then you'd, you'd see um, this receiver record was broken or touchdown record was broken. But in the GA, I suppose that's something that we, we don't do. And um, I suppose, I don't know, is, uh, I think Killian Connor is the top scorer in uh, the, the championship. Um, and I know that I've I seen comments that uh, people kind of give note that, uh, no, Killian Connor is the top scorer and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> people are kind of. Checking him on it, that no, it's a it's a national league record. So 
you probably only get to appreciate these records and stuff, <clears throat> the individual <clears throat> feats after you've retired as well, David. Um, I suppose you do, yeah. It's it's great to look back and to see um, what you what you've achieved. Um, uh, well, um, Mickey Kearns was actually uh, he called in to me here um, a few weeks after I broke the record. He's, I think he, he kind of comes around the area, um, so we know know a local guy that knew him, and he called in here, and I got a photo taken with him and stuff like that, um, which was which was great, which was great to have and uh, still have it there. The, the other edge of that, of you being players, I guess, target man and, and uh, principal scorer is that uh, no matter who you play against, you're probably getting put up against the, the, the best man marker or the tightest defender. Uh, who were the defenders you didn't like coming up against? Like Who were the, the, the toughest defenders you came up against across your career? Um, well, I suppose early on in my career, when when I used to in Division 4, you probably uh, Morris O'Garman from Waterford was... was uh, he was a very tight marker. Um, then you've got uh, Johnny McCarthy in Limerick. He was, we got to play him a lot as well, and um, it came up a good few times against Marco Shea. Um, you can see what Marco Shea has achieved over the years, and um, <laughs> just to, just to come up against and play these top defenders was was uh, was great because I was tested you, and it, after the game you'd, you'd when uh, when they'd be marking you, you always kind of learn off them and. Uh, see what do I have to work on for the next day and what you'll be looking back on video and all that kind of stuff and seeing um, the kind of runs I, sh- uh, I need to make the next day so it was always a help to mark the, the best players and uh, it, was, it was great great to mark these guys during my career Has the sledging from defenders developed over the last 15 years even like I enjoyed the, the Padraig O'Hora David Clifford stuff got a bit of attention but I'm sure it's um, it's, it's improved in its uh, originality I guess over the last 15 years the sledging as uh, it has, but uh, I don't really take any notice. Um, if anything, it kind of riles you up, it gets you going. Like I, you wouldn't really say things back to you or, into, or say things back to defenders or anything. The way I tried to answer them was to get a, put the ball over the bar or put the ball in the back of the net. And usually if you do that quick enough, that uh, kind of shuts them up a small bit. Um, but I never really got that much uh, sledging over the years. Um, but... Um, you hear a small bit, but not major. It's a bad idea to sledge the uh, highest scoring footballer of all time. <laughs> like, that one will generally tend to bite you on the ass. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to ask you before we go about um, Division 2 of the, the Allianz Football League next year. So it's Limerick, Cork, Mead, Louth, Clare, Derry, Kildare and Dublin, obviously. And um, half those teams will end up playing for the Sam Maguire and some of them will end up not playing for Sam Maguire by virtue of the, the Connacht draw in particular. Um, yeah. Was that was was all that stuff when it was going on in the background? Were you talking about that in the dressing room, or did did that kind of exist separately? That whole uh, proposal of B and those conversations, or were you definitely involved? Kind of saying, "Ah, come on, this has to happen." Um, I think last year, I think when the I, it came in last year about say, if, um, I think there was a few teams that if they got to the provincial finals, that if you came third last in Division Two, that you would be. Who would be out of the All Ireland series? Um, I think that was that was a huge thing as well. Um, I, I think that gets teams really. You really have to hit the ground running in the national league um, uh, this year. Uh, I suppose last year and this year, um, but um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough division. Um, you've got you've got Dublin and Derry down there um, at the moment. Uh, Derry flying high after last year and, and Dublin getting relegated, which which was a huge huge thing altogether. Um, but they'll be going into get back into Division 1 and try and get back to the All-Ireland. Champ- or the All-Ireland. Um, 
but you can see that it's going to be a very tough division with Cork um, big win over Kerry there the other night um, and then you've got Kildare down there and you've got promoted Limerick and um, it's, it's going to be you've got meat down there as well new management as well so it's, it's, it's going to be it's going to be a tough one it's going to be very tough there um, in Division 2 uh, Plenty of time for you now to work on your golf handicap what are you playing off at the moment? Um, I play off 6 at the moment Right so. so you'll be scratched by the end of the year is that what we're hearing? <laughs> Um, I don't know about scratch now, but uh, we'll uh, we'll work on it. I need a bit of lessons first, so uh, <laughs> um, so a uh, few lessons, and hopefully I can get it, get it as low as I can. Well, listen, we hope you enjoy the retirement. Um, obviously, a very busy time for you, no matter what. But uh, thanks, William, for joining us. Cheers, David. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Thank uh, you. That is the legend that is David Tuberty, the <laughs> highest scoring Gaelic footballer of all time in the National Football League. That that's some list. Um, of players Mikko obviously was a, a National League superstar Dermot Early Senior is on the list Brian Stafford is on the list Stephen McDonald's on the list Conor McManus still active but he needs to kick 90 points this season in the league to um, overtake David Tuberty Maddie Ford Tony McTague Ronan Carlin and Mick Cairns was the one he, who he broke who played for Sligo for 17 years from 61 to 78 but um, yeah we I mean we should have stopped the game 100% well, like, we, need, we definitely need get to some tanks onto the field you know yeah. something ridiculous <laughs> well it's like we have the guy who uh, follows and tracks the crappy quiz results week on week we need people yeah Silla Wallahan of course from, from Offaly we need someone to properly like, this can't be an, it has to be the GEA or a central thing done but there needs to be records kept properly I mean, the fact that he didn't know until a reporter tells him after the match. I think I think there's some move afoot to um, uh, to to do that over mm. the next period of time. It's probably going to end up being linked in with um, the new GATV station that we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it needs to be done. But uh, what a career, Jesus! When you look at the record, the scoring record. If you're playing Clare, you don't want to be marking him. Uh, put it that way and seven seasons is it they've been in, in Division 2 so fully yeah. fully established yeah yeah. <laughs> that when you when you look at that division right Dublin, Kildare, Derry Clare, Loud, Mead, Cork and Limerick who's going down yeah like yeah you have you have straight away have to look at the teams that came up was it Limerick and Louth came up uh, because yeah. the other teams have been fairly established in Division 1 Limerick and Louth on a roll yeah well, I know no? yeah yeah it's tough but that, that kind of highlights, only serves to highlight Tuberty's record because they weren't all, with all respect to Division 4, he wasn't scoring just in the bottom tier. No. Still not scoring Division no, 2. No, so. no, no, absolutely. Um, no, a superstar in any team and, um, you know, would have been like a six, six or seven time All-Star mm. if he'd been born just down the road in Kerry. <laughs> yeah. uh, and Kerry would have won far more All-Ireland if they'd had David Tuberty the entire time as well. Um, the uh, power rankings are coming back next week. We're going to have the power rankings. So, in advance of the uh, return of the Alliance National Football League, it's time. It's time to see what impact um, the return of the Dubs has had. It's time to see what uh, what impact Cork's hammering of Kerry in the first round of what's the cup they call? Is it Walsh McGrath? What's, what's the one? The Grad and Munster, yeah, yeah. Uh, that one. <coughs> um, what impact that might have on the, on the power rankings? We'll see next week. So, uh, if you've got any suggestions, you should get them into us at Off the Ball AM on Twitter. And a reminder: OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Eight fifty four AM on this Friday mornings. I, I keep going to say Thursday because you're here, Jer, but it's uh, Friday mornings. OTB AM. Uh, time to say a very good morning to the nineteen ninety seven World Snooker Champion Ken Doherty. Morning, Ken. Good morning, lads. How are you? Keeping well. Um, we will get to the Masters preview because Ali Pally has had to quickly turn from the darts to the snooker for this Sunday but um, I did want to touch on the, the Chinese corruption and match fixing uh, story which mm. has kind of developed again from this week so the, the snooker governing body on Tuesday 
suspending two more Chinese players investigating yeah. this alleged match-fixing and betting scandal. Uh, Zhao Jintong being one of them, which is the big name, and he's had to pull out of the Masters or turfed out of the Masters, essentially, replaced by yeah. Hussein Vafei. This is a story that um, is putting a bit of a stain on the sport at the moment, Ken. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, I'm shocked and saddened at the same time, to be honest. You know, Zhao Jintong, UK champion, former UK champion, won the UK last year at the year before last in the German Masters. A very prodigious talent. And, of course, Yan Bingtel, who won the Masters only a couple of years ago. They're the two of the highest-ranked players that have been suspended, have been sort of embroiled in this sort of uh, match-fixing or match-betting controversy. And along with eight other players, Yang Wenbo was already retired. I think he was the, the most prolific of them all. Uh, but he's gone as well. Uh, yeah, and, and it's just, uh, it has, it's, it's marred the sport. But the good thing is that, you know, that anybody, it'll be a lesson to anybody who thinks that they can sort of bet or match fix in our sport and try and get away with it. You know, at least uh, they've been caught and, and uh, the punishments will be handed out in due course. And I'm sure severe punishments at that. There have been high profile incidents over the years, Stephen Lee mm. being one that, that comes mm. to mind. Um, mm. And that, like the punishments have been meted out. But when you say lessons have been learned, I guess. From that perspective, yeah. it, it hasn't been learned at this point. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I totally agree. I thought, you know, with the severe 12-year ban at Stephen Lee, that that would have frightened anybody off. Uh, but obviously, I mean, these are young lads coming into sport. Those two high-profile, Liang Wenbo as well. And then there's there's another seven after that. And some of them are very, very young, very vulnerable, uh, but probably not educated and probably... The, the, the rules of our game um, and the, the possible suspensions and fines and, and bans that they could face just by betting, uh, not even match fixing, but just by betting alone. Uh, it's not allowed. It's totally illegal in our sport. We're monitored by Sport Radar. We have our own Sport Integrity Unit. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, you talked after the Stephen Lee incident that nobody else would dare do it. But obviously... Obviously, they have and they've been caught. And um, it was actually one of the younger lads who was sort of coerced into doing it. That he was the whistleblower and it sort of uh, unraveled this whole sort of uh, sort of system between uh, these ten Chinese players. Which, in a way, is good, right? Like, uh, in, yeah. in many sports, when this happens, a lot of sports are like, oh, it's just a it's just a few bad apples. But actually, you know, having an open conversation and being openly disgusted by it is the only way for this to work out. Is this something that has always been around, though, Ken? Like, were were you ever approached at any stage when you were playing, or no. or did it, it never? It didn't happen like that, did it? No, not at all. You know, I mean, uh, the, you hear stories. I mean, there's obviously. I mean, back even when I when I was playing, we were allowed sort of uh, bet against, like if we had a high break. I remember once I had a high break in my first year, I think it was uh, in the Mercantile Credit Classic, and it was 126, it was against Eddie Charlton, and I was allowed back against it uh, in case it got beat as a sort of a saver. And believe it or not, the 126 stayed for the whole week and I lost both sides. So, uh, but, but those days, <laughs> that was typical. Uh, but those days you could do it. But then, of course, uh, you know, uh, the betting, the bans of betting and, and of course, uh, particularly match fixing was always banned. But, you, you know, you were allowed to sort of have savers years and years ago. But that was turfed out many, many years ago. Uh, but since then, now I've never been approached, but... Obviously, it's been going on behind the scenes, and uh, but it's it, you know as you said, Jared, that the highlight, uh, the good thing is that it's been highlighted and, and it's been caught, and uh, you know it's the only way to 
the only way to sort of deal with this is to hand out some very bands, you know, to those who are who are the uh, the perpetrators, you know. And was there ever a sense that this might be going on at like uh, the lower ranking tournaments when you know back mm. in back in the day, or had it always yeah. kind of just been a sense that actually, you know, it's not really worth it? Um, I don't know. You see, because because it's monitored as well, it's very very difficult to get the money on now because these are Chinese, so maybe lots of money going on in the Chinese markets that are hard. But even with Sport Radar, uh, they're monitored now. So, uh, but years and years ago, that wouldn't that wouldn't have been the case. So uh, there probably was like stuff in all sports. I think you know, you see some of the you know with the Premiership footballers, you see it in tennis and golf and lots of other sports uh, that it's happened. But college um, basketball, like that, was the kind of yeah, exactly. America, the point yeah, shaving yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the I mean, cricket, even the Hansi Crunchy, yeah. Hansi Crunchy incident in the cricket. Yeah, so it's been going on in a lot of sports, and particularly because of the the betting companies and and uh, all the little different markets that they have as well. Um, but yeah, it's been going on in all sports. But thankfully that we've found, you know, in, in our sport, that we've found the guilty parties and, and we've dealt with them, as I said, severely. And I'm sure, like, you know, th- this is a this is a very sad time for Snooker. And particularly for, you know, because these young lads, they've come over from China, dedicated their lives to, to Snooker. And particularly the likes of Yan Ming Tao and, and Zhao Zutong, who sort of got into the top 16 are very, very successful and sort of uh, the flag bearers now for Chinese snooker, you know, they, they, they will be marred with this for the rest of their careers, you know, and could possibly have thrown their careers away because of it, you know, and it's just, uh, it is very, very sad in a way, you know. It's, it's crazy because when you watch some of the videos of these frames where match fixing is alleged to have occurred, mm. and sometimes it can be a case of, you know, a player winning 4-1 instead of winning 4-0, it can be very yeah. subtle, but sometimes it's... It's a player missing a shot by a, by millimeters, you know, in the jaws of the pocket, mm. just going out of position, yeah. very ever so slightly. Mm. But it strikes me that snooker players are so talented and so precise nowadays that mm. you could you could on purpose miss a shot by or, or put yourself out of position by by even the slightest of margins. Yeah, you could do, but if if it's been highlighted by our integrity unit that there has been suspicious betting patterns on a particular match, I would be able to see. Mm. I would I would be able to know no matter how good they are of the way and the manner in which they're playing that whether whether it's dodgy or not you know uh, and you can't hide from that you know it, it strikes me that when you look at the of course the all of the winners of the the World Snooker Championship have come from from the UK Neil Robertson of course as well from from Australia uh, but snooker in that China was one from Ireland as well sorry of course yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, notwithstanding of course the most important one um, but but if you look at if you look at the, the the game in China and how it's risen and it's clearly been on a, yeah. uh, an upward curve yeah. over the last number of years thanks to the likes of Zhao Jintong and, and Yan Bingtao but yeah Ding Wei as well of yeah course. of course but what, what like you felt like a, a Chinese winner of the World Snooker Championship was only around the corner but this mm. this could set the game back in China decades Yes, it could do. Yeah, and particularly, I mean, these two guys, uh, the likes of Chef Tong and the likes of Yang Ming Tao, um, these were two of the more likely guys to actually win the World Championship at some stage. Very talented players, very different sort of characters. Um, but yeah, they had the they had the potential to go on and win the World Championship. And it will it will set it will set it back a little bit. Um, but I think. Like all things, the game is bigger than individuals, you know, and the game will always survive. And there are lots of great players, uh, you know, in the Masters this week and, and on the tour as well that will keep uh, attracting, you know, the spectator. I mean, you see the Masters is almost completely sold out every session. 
so it hasn't taken away from the popularity of the sport. There are some bad elements in the sport, yeah, in every sport, but they will be found and they'll be found guilty and, and dealt with uh, severely, as I said, you know. When you look at the Masters then, kicking off this Sunday, Ken in, in mm. Ali Pali, I mean, you mentioned the, uh, Mark Allen is, is someone who has been in prodigious yeah. form with the Northern Ireland Open and then um, a brilliant comeback win against Ding Jean Wee back in November in the UK Championship Final. Uh, bang in form and he could really do it. He's already won the Masters before. Yeah, absolutely. I think he, you know, he's, he's full of confidence. Uh, you know, he's, he's different Mark Allen this year. He's like lost five stone during the summer. He feels great. He's, he's playing you know, very, very freely. Uh, he won the Northern Ireland, as you said, the UK. So he's coming into this as the man in form and I think he's the man to beat. You know, himself, and obviously Ronnie O'Sullivan, who's won it seven times. It's a tournament that Ronnie O'Sullivan, you know, it's on, it's in his back door. He, he gets himself up for it every year. He only has to win four matches to win it. So uh, it suits him. Uh, but I think Mark Allen will be his biggest threat this week, yeah. Ronnie, as someone who can can be in the mood for a tournament and not in the mood for a tournament, he, he of course yeah. enjoys the media work as well whenever he gets knocked mm. out. But as you <laughs> said, the format the format suits him perfectly because he doesn't have to concentrate over over a seventeen day seventeen day period like at the Crucible. It's it's quick fire. Yeah, it's quick fire. He only lives like you know half an hour, forty minutes away as well. That suits him uh, as well. And yeah, I mean he's won it seven times. I think he's been beaten three or four finals as well you know he has an incredible record over um, over his 30 year career uh, and he just keeps going on and breaking records you know he's he's the most wonderful talent that a game has ever seen uh, it's great that he can still play uh, you know he's 47 now I think might be even gone to 48 and he's still at the top of the tree he's number one in the world and it's just magnificent you know like Alexander Palace, in terms of the snooker, normally when people watch snooker and tune in, they see the, the very uh, quiet, respectful crowds. Mm. But in, in Ali Pali for the Masters, it's, it's yeah. the one occasion where the crowd lets loose a little bit. And, and Ronnie certainly, yeah. as you said, the home favourite. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's 2,000. can hold 2,000 uh, seats now. Uh, it was 1,000 when we went to Ali Pali Forest. They increased to the 500 because of the demand. Now it's up to 2,000. Uh, and the atmosphere is just electric. I mean, we saw it last year the reception of all the players that came in and particularly that match Higgins and Williams you know where they got both got a standard ovation for the final frame I mean I was in the commentary box the hairs in the back of my neck were standing up just watching it you know it was quite incredible we thought we'd never see the likes of when it was in the conference centre years ago but it moved to Wembley uh, Arena and now into Ali Pali where it's really sort of has its own home now it's a wonderful wonderful tournament and there'll be a great atmosphere I can't wait for it to start tomorrow Mark Williams is someone who, uh, I know he's been in Ireland doing uh, exhibitions this week as well, but mm. someone will be heavily fancied, you know, Neil Robertson being mentioned. Um, mm. Williams, I think, has David Gilbert up first, who's been a late call-up because of the, the Chinese match-fixing. So, uh, yeah. you expect him to go far as well? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's one of those tournaments. I mean, the opening uh, the opening match is Neil Robertson against Sean Murphy, who they played in a couple of finals together. So, I mean, most of the matches in the first round, you could almost grace as like some finals, like, you know, uh, there's some great matchups. Higgins against Lizowski is a great matchup as well. But Mark Williams is a yeah, he's one of the guys, the class of '92 that could could go a long way in this tournament. Um, Neil Robertson is defending champion against Sean Murphy, as I said in the opener. That's going to be a, a great start, and of course Selby in the evening time as well. Um, yeah, any one of those Selby in, in a bit of form as well has come back. Uh, won the English Open just before Christmas and you know he's had his problems off the table sort of mental health issues it's great to see him play and back to his best as well so uh, yeah I'm looking forward to a really a great week of snooker and some great matches and uh, hopefully 
we'll get a, a couple of the big hitters in the final and have a, a great final uh, on Sunday week. Ken, with all the other lads making a comeback, are you getting... Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's I going on? Dust the cobwebs, dust the cobwebs off the queue, Jerry. Yeah, are you... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm still playing. Uh, I've actually got myself with Jimmy White. I've got a qualifier. Jordan, the master, is actually up in Barnsley. So we'll have to make a little road trip together up to Barnsley, uh, play in the Welsh Open qualifiers and then and then back down. So, uh, But yeah, I'm still enjoying it uh, along with Jimmy. And I don't think Stephen has enjoyed it as much. He hasn't played anything this season yet. But uh, we're still enjoying it. And we, we love our sport, you know. And, and things like this that uh, has marred the sport a little bit really sort of offend us in a way. You know, they hurt us and, and they sadden us as well, you know, and uh, let's hope that we can get this controversy behind us and, and uh, you know, and deal with it very, very efficiently, you know, and as quickly as possible. You were hanging out with Jimmy in, in Cork during the week. Um, he's obviously yeah. a, a calmer individual now than he was when... Uh... <laughs> Just a little bit. I yeah, think. a little bit, yeah, but he still likes, he still loves Ireland. He loves his points of Guinness still, and uh, when he's when he's back in Ireland, and uh, a little bit calmer, but he's still, you know, like a cat in a hot tin roof at times. <laughs> believe me, well, great character, lovely guy, and has been very, very good to me over the years. You know, as a, as a really good friend, and uh, it's helped me quite a lot. And uh, yeah, I, I love him. He's a great character, and great to see him at the the ripe old age of sixty, still playing and still competing and still loving it. Uh, I hope I still have the same love as him, and I'm sure I will when I when I get to that age. Well, you brought up Sean Murphy there, Ken, and uh, I know you, you spend mm. a lot of time in the golf course at the moment. We've been kind of having a discussion with a number of people <laughs> on the show recently about um, which is the more difficult: the one four seven, the nine darter, or the the hole in one. Uh, Sean Murphy, yeah. of course, making the claim that he's done all three. Now we've had uh, yeah. George Noble and um, Glenn Durrant on the show in the last you week keep, or two. You keep throwing shade on his claim that he's done all three. <laughs> no, I haven't seen you do that to his face, mind you. Yeah, yeah. George Noble and Glenn Durrant uh, calling a bit of uh, calling his claim into question a little bit. But um, mm. w- which is the toughest, in your opinion, Ken? Uh, well, looking. Uh, I mean, I played golf. I've never had a hole in one. Uh, but I think that's lucky in, in a lot of respect, particularly for amateurs, you know, because <laughs> I played with guys that have had ones and listen, it's probably the only best shot that they've ever played <laughs> in their life, you know. Uh, the, the ninth darter is incredible, yeah. I saw some during the um, the World Championship, which was fantastic uh, the last week, uh, but it's only nine darts. We we have to play 36 shots for a one four seven. So, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> simple maths, yeah. That's why I have simple maths, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the last one for me then is Eric Ten Hag, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Oh well, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that, but uh, he certainly um, is. Uh, he's done an amazing job, and uh, you know the United fans are getting excited. Uh, we could still deal with a couple of players for sure. Uh, but at the moment, yeah, the Reds are back, Jared. The Reds are back. There you go. I Bring on City. I knew you'd be happy about it. <laughs> Kendo, great to have yeah, you with yeah. us. Thanks a million. Yeah, you too. Take care, guys. Have a great new year. Cheers, Ken. Yeah. Right. We'll have to get Ken on. Uh, Colin pointing out to me you had to be there. Oh, yeah, I totally. Mean, his yeah. will be brilliant. Oh, yeah. Given everywhere he's been in snooker and football. You, you and had to the be there that time that I was at Old Trafford when um, I... Uh, Paraded the world oh. that would be like yeah he's always, you see him are you, are you now pick your own stuff ah it isn't yeah. actually you winning something possibly Colin I think so. up the rules yeah. I think but he's opposite you see him in the director's box with Alex Ferguson the odd time now Ken and Dennis Taylor as well so uh, yeah not a bad experience at Old Trafford I'd say that no I'd say that's, that's as good as it gets mm. uh, although wasn't it wasn't it Khabib's mates who outed Ferguson for not 
for giving out about Solskjaer and not picking uh, yes, Ronaldo. It was, it was could be filmed it? or filmed discreetly. Well, it wasn't. I mean, it was yeah, like, it was there. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. <clears throat> Fair. I think, uh, Anyway, 11 minutes past nine, OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio for you today. OTB Gold is uh, Catherine Switzer at one o'clock. I'm at Rushmore at Kilkenny. Pat Fellin is our Team 33 LOI legend. Ronnie Delaney is OTB Gold at six. And Adrian Barry is live with the show tonight from seven, including, of course, the crappiest of crappy quizzes. You can follow off the ball across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in the latest sports content. Up next, Irish racing driver James Rowe is going to be in studio to talk about his ambitions of racing in the Indy 500. First, though, you're going to hear a clip from the OTB Games Room in partnership with Virgin Media. Bring your A-game with 99.9% broadband reliability. Jess Zoo was the latest to take on Nathan Murphy's FIFA legacy. OTB AM. Yeah, from go. a resource perspective here in this team, engineers, cars, equipment... From a driver's perspective, you want to submerge yourself in that environment. There's no program like it in, in Indy Next. An environment like this, it's to win and get results, so that's that's what we're going for. It's huge to be here in North America representing the island of Ireland. You know, not many people actually branch out of Ireland when you look at motorsport on a global scale. I'm James Rowe, Indy Next driver for Andretti Autosport. So that's the official announcement video there, James, that we've just rolled for our audience. You're welcome to the studio. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. When, when does this all start? When do you actually start driving then? First race is the first weekend of March in St. Petersburg, Florida. Okay. Um, but we have two test days between now and then, one at the end of January in, in Miami and another one at the end of February. And uh, we've been rolling probably for the last three or four months, putting everything together. And we had some tests prior to Christmas and a lot of work behind the scenes. How did they go the test before Christmas? What what kind of state is it in at the moment? Good, yeah, it's looking uh, looking really good actually. Um, part of that program was the evaluation test for this deal, uh, so that's the way it came about. Is the team bring you out and they evaluate you for two days and, and so no pressure, no <laughs> no pressure whatsoever. They um, turn uh, turn the dial up and, and see what you can do in, in their machinery. See how you get along with the engineers, the crews, the mechanics. What your dialogue's like, you know, what your feedback's like, how you how you advance uh, the team as a whole they're looking for the right candidate and obviously with a team such as Andretti you know their, their doors being bat down with drivers every day of the week so even just to, you know, to be honest get that evaluation test was big um, and then thankfully it went well and uh, yeah JF Torman the president of Andretti Autosport called and offered a contract uh, late uh, October and here we are now How many of you are on that uh, Andretti team for the Indy next year? So I have three teammates, and uh, it's a four-car team. But the way it's structured within a team of such scale is that it's essentially four one-car teams within. So every car has their own engineer, their own crew chief, their right. own mechanics. Everything runs, let's say, individually while it's at the racetrack. And away from the track, then obviously it's all together as, as a group. Um, and myself and the teammates work together and the other engineers. But when we're on track... Um, it's a it's a unit. It's your, a unit, your unit. Yeah, and, exactly. And how many cars are on the grid then? So there will be 20 cars on the grid um, based out of four or five teams. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, to be honest, you have champions from all over the world, Japanese F3 champions, British F3 champions, European F3 guys, uh, Indy Pro 2000 champions, uh, you know, winners from, from all around the world, W Series champions, all coming together. So um, it's the last step for the pinnacle of US motorsports so naturally there's a, a lot of good stuff there so we're seeing some of the, the B-roll here that we have these are the cars these are the, right. the next cars yeah what kind of speeds are these getting up to 
depending on the track, anywhere from average, anywhere from 170 to 220 miles an hour. So I don't know, about 300 and something kilometers um, an hour. And uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, can we go back to the start? Of that? Look how close those cars are coming to the to the wall as well. Like this, when people say it's a that's sport on of, purpose. Yeah, of course, yeah. but it's, it's a sport of millimeters, and that's the well, and that that's what it's about. You know, the whoever. Um, the, the the running joke is it's the thinnest line between I've got and it's it's got me. So whoever can can run that that line for as long as they can, like like going on a tight rope, is the guy that's ultimately going to be quickest. So uh, yeah, that that's it. That was a street course that was played there. So concrete walls all around you. That was actually St. Pete, where our, our, our season opener is. And uh, yeah, we'll um, we'll we'll go there. And you you <laughs> basically the closer you are to the walls, the faster you go. It's funny. Like I, I, a couple of years ago, got to visit. Um the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and see the gasoline alley and the order bricks and all the rest and you see when you're in the museum and you're seeing all the old cars and the trophies the Andretti name is literally everywhere yeah. so like maybe people who, who are unfamiliar with, with Mario Andretti and even Michael uh, just how big is the Andretti name in the States in North America? Oh, it's huge I mean the, the the fact and the demographic behind it is that the Andretti name is known by 75% of US households so you imagine the, the North American population 75% of those households resonating with the name is absolutely huge um, and ultimately you know Mario and Michael Andretti are huge huge names and Mario of course being one of the all time greats in this industry in motorsport Formula 1 IndyCar sports cars Michael being involved in, in Formula 1 uh, as a driver um and a number of IndyCar wins and pole positions, championships. They're they're a powerhouse in in in, in global motorsport. Actually, not just US motorsport. And and that's ultimately why why this is such a you know a huge moment for my career is that you align yourself with 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 both Michael and Mario and and, and their outfit and, and where they're going. It's uh it's pretty pretty exciting. The, the, there was big news yesterday as well. Aside from your own announcement <laughs> that uh, Andretti have joined forces with General Motors for a for a. a Bid for Formula One with Cadillac, twenty twenty six. So is this is this something you're keeping an eye on? Like, is your, are your ultimate do your ultimate ambitions lie in Indy or did they lie in Formula One? Or are you kind of just taking it year by year? Well, my goal and and uh, dream, so to speak, is to get to the Indy five hundred. Be the first Irish man there since the nineteen eighties, and uh, you know, ultimately want to win it. So um, that's what I'm focused on right now, and you know, being part of of the Andretti Indy next program, uh, level below there. IndyCar program surrounded by all the IndyCar drivers and, and crew chiefs and stuff on an everyday basis in the workshop is huge for that so that's where I'm going right now and that's what I'm what I'm focusing on and, and that's 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 the focus but having said that naturally again the team such scale you know they're involved in Indy Next IndyCar Formula E Extreme E V8 Supercars in Australia Le Mans uh, with a partnership with a sports car team of course in the middle of the F1 bid right now um Basically, Michael's goal and vision is to be a, a, a powerhouse within global motorsport, and he wants to be involved in absolutely every top-level championship and winning it. And um, there's more announcements to come down the line, and he's just a, a very, very um, determined, hungry individual who's going to make it happen. So, yes, to be part of that is huge, and... Um, it, let's just see what happens. I think right now, just focus on my job, what they sign me up for, and uh, see where the rest takes us. It's funny when you talked about your your trial not being just to see if you can drive the car the fastest, but also to give them the feedback to help the team grow. So um, that's something you need to work on and need to fully understand. So, is your own background in engineering, or how did you how do you become uh, proficient at explaining that something is not aligned properly? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. This I just grew up. Um, 
family business in, in Ace County Kildare is a, is, a, is a car garage, so grew up around it since a very young age, uh, being around cars and, and mechanics, so to speak, and my uncle, Michael Rowe, had a professional career back in the 80s and 90s in Japanese sports cars in Le Mans and stuff, so naturally growing up through his professional career, you know, I got to pick up in bits, and um, I suppose when you, when you combine the two together, you naturally just pick up a little understanding of vehicle, vehicle dynamics and it's something that comes quite easy and uh and then to be able to explain it to somebody is the other aspect of yeah that, right? it's just it's it's hard to even verbalize it's a feel and you you know what end of the car needs what and and it's purely based off experience you know and we need less front spring or more rear spring or we need more downforce or whatever that may be is that it's built over time and knowledge like anything you learn the principles and then you got to feel it and experience it to give that accurate feedback um but it's ultimately a feel thing is you got to feel at what end of the the car needs what speaking of feeling right so when you're doing the tests what are you feeling like because there's a lot on the line yeah uh at that test i just focused on on me and just driving and, and prepare as, as best as I could for the test and you got to have self, <coughs> self-belief in this sport so um, focused on as I said on me and just doing the job and uh, hopefully that was enough in which it was so that that's ultimately all you can do in sport you know you control the controllables and, and yeah, do what and you it, got I, I, so where did you learn that stuff is the, the psychology of the sport uh, like is that something you, you read about you speak to other former drivers is it just yeah. people you trust or is is that innate no there there's there's a certain aspect that's innate but I think to get the last piece of the puzzle so to speak you got to tap into what's around you so yeah I've been fortunate to have some guys in my corner um, who've been uh, very uh, supportive in that area one of which is Gary Keegan he works with the Irish rugby team and, and does a lot there actually going to have a coffee with him after this um, so uh, Gary you know paints a good picture there and and have been fortunate to have that but then also as I said just going back to you either believe in yourself or you don't um, and trusting that you know you're given these opportunities for a certain reason you're in this position for a reason and if you're working hard enough and you're doing the right things um, just trust that it's going to happen yeah Gary Keegan's a very impressive character I've yeah. never come away from meeting him without thinking yeah my life is amazing I'm going to be great <laughs> yeah, it's like it's good to have somebody like that in your corner no he's good he's uh, just very genuine says it as it is and that's my personality that just very direct and um, yeah no uh, no fluff and things and that's what he's like that was an important thing from speaking to you before James I remember you, you talking about how important other sports were even in your upbringing whether it was water sports or skiing or rugby or boxing uh, I know you followed the Green Bay Packers as well in yeah, the NFL yeah. so you, you seem like someone who's tapped into a little bit of everything and taken tidbits from all kinds of sports well that, it's funny because I didn't start motorsport until I was 15 years of age which is very very late uh, most IndyCar Formula 1 drivers are go-karts since they're 4 or 5 years of age so naturally you know, they're a decade ahead of you on the experience standpoint so you know when we're in the Andretti shop and you're hanging around the likes of Roman Grosjean and Colton Herta and you know even my teammates McElroy and Foster and Chadwick all these guys they were, they were driving since 20, 2004 I started in 2014 um, so that you know that upbringing I just did the usual sports that every Irish kid does you know rugby, golf, football, hurling whatever it may be um, for various different circumstances and uh, that ultimately boiled down to the fact that the commercial aspect of the sport it's a sport like no other you don't buy a pair of boots and go to the pitch you gotta buy cars, haulers engines, mechanics, you know, crews, tyres, it goes on and on. So to get in it is quite tough and it took me until 15 years of age. But now I am thankful that I had that upbringing and um, as you said, yeah, it paint, paints a good picture of, of what 
what other things are about. And honestly, it gives you a different perspective on certain scenarios because if you come up through a, a tunnel for for you know a decade from four or five years of age, you kind of you know get the blinkers on you and you, you can't see much. So when you see other aspects in other sports, you can look at things from certain scenarios and and ultimately it helps you know the emotional intelligence of dealing with your team like of, of talking to a mechanic who might have something else going on in their life that isn't just this thing this week and you need to be slightly aware of that while at the same time focusing on the outcome is like absolutely you know, yeah no that that's that's a big part and and it's it's huge in our industry because to win so many things have to come together so if i'm a, a rugby player or or sorry no not if i'm a golfer or a, or a tennis player i just focus on myself i know once i'm under control i'm good but in our industry, you got the variables of the engineer, the driver, the crew chief, all the mechanics, the guy who built the gearbox, the guy who built the engine, the tire guy. Everyone has to be on their game to perform. And if one of us doesn't perform, we're not going to win. And ultimately, it's it's from a Thursday through to a Sunday you know, of a race, there's 200 small decisions made from each of those individuals. So naturally, if my engineer's having a bad weekend and um, or a bad time at home and he comes to the track and that comes to the track, his head's going to be down. He's not going to be thinking as sharp if the tire guy is having a rough time, if the, you know, crew chief is. So it's a it's a team effort, and that's what team sports is. Um, and yeah, you're right. You got to understand who you're dealing with and, and how to get the the most out of them. I think that's what a lot of the greats do, and especially on the team ownership side, it's one of Michael's biggest traits is um, getting the the most out of his guys. When you are, are are getting signed for a team like Andretti, is it different from uh, a smaller team? Are, is there less pressure on you to bring a massive amount of sponsorship and finance with you because they're already so well established? So it's a combination of the two. Naturally, you know, it depends on which way you look at it. It swings and roundabouts. So being with a team of such scale, as I said, known by 75% of US households, that creates a lot of excitement and opportunity for the partners and sponsors. So they want to be part of that. Um, but having said that, the team is extremely well established, yes. And, and they have a lot of commercial background and a you know full in-house commercial commercial department as any big sports team does so it's a combination of the both there's no direct answer to it um but one thing for sure that has been evident is the return on investment to commercial partners has grown astronomically overnight based off the fact that we're now representing the Dreddy Autosport brand because as you can imagine so these are your commercial partners we're talking about correct this yeah. is the other aspect of this that like I'm, I'm not sure everybody fully understands mm-hmm. I'd say most people think you're a driver mm-hmm. but actually you're a businessman yeah like for, <laughs> you know um your your job is to generate enough revenue while at the same time being faster than everybody else. So you've like this split personality when it comes to yeah. <laughs> managing your career. Yeah, no, you're dead right. I mean, three weeks before Christmas, for instance, I was on the road straight for three weeks throughout North America, Indy, Florida, California, Texas, New York, all these states with meetings with senior level executives in relation to what we what we do. But as I said, it's all been very successful. I'm very fortunate to have very good partners around me. Um, top compositioning group being one of them, and, and they've been with me since 2019. And, and ultimately, you know, what's really fortunate here is the fact that the demographic fan base and return on investment that's on hand is, you know, seeable. So, so any of these commercial partners that come on board, it's not you know cap in hand looking for 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 support. It's a full commercial proposition that grows their business. And what uh, is that? What is that proposition? Like, so when you were at those meetings, what are you what are you saying? What's your job there? Well, ultimately, every partner is going to be different, right? So so it depends on under you know understanding what your needs and wants are first and foremost, and where you're trying to take your your business and 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 what your goals and objectives are within your marketing department or your business division. But for for us, you know. Some partners are all about corporate entertainment and corporate hospitality. Others are about brand growth. Others are about B two B deals. So introducing business to businesses in the sense that 
you know, the beauty of our industry in, in North America is it's sponsored by all the major corporations in North America, Verizon, Hitachi, you know, PNC Bank, U.S. Bank, uh, Caterpillar. It goes on and on and on. There's huge brands involved. So when other brands come in, um, they get to engage and interact with senior level executives who are all at the racetrack in relation okay. or in relation to it. So now all of a sudden you're at the racetrack, you know, you could bump into... <clears throat> the CEO Budweiser and so part of it's matchmaking that's exactly what it is yeah right it, it's 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 hard to you know to explain it in 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 one little short conversation but ultimately as I said it boils back to the fan base the demographics the viewing figures that the sports get gets like IndyCar right now in North America has higher viewing figures than men's golf and UFC so if you think of that as a whole it's growing faster than the big four sports on the on the um, on the on the viewing side so you know, you're you're a you're a corporation, and you you want to align with 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 an athlete, and and you know align yourself with a brand that's known by seventy five percent of U.S. households very quickly. It's justifiable, just purely based off numbers. Does being Irish like that that strikes me as something that's remarkable? You're going to have a lot of eyes on you, I suppose, with the Andretti name, mm-hmm. you know, with the link there, and 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 I guess it's about that. It's about increasing profile. Mm-hmm. Does having the Irishness help over there? Is it almost a, a unique selling point in some ways? I mean, it's yes, it is. It it, it helps. I mean, there, there's certain scenarios that it helps. And obviously, if you're speaking to a guy who has a second name called Murphy, he's interested <laughs> that you're Irish. Um, and there seems to be a lot of them over there. But um, there's days that it helps, and there's days where where you, you wouldn't mention whatsoever. It's it certainly doesn't hurt. You know, I'm very proud to be Irish. Very proud to be an Irish guy competing in North America, the only Irish athlete in North America in this discipline um and you know as i said the goal being the first irish man to get the indy 500 and and it, since 1980 but but my goal is to be an irish athlete in the biggest one-day sporting event in the world so you know our nation is, is huge for for producing athletes you know you all the all the top athletes you know whether it's golf whether it's boxing whether it's you know horse riding whatever that may be there's there's huge huge talent in this country rugby players everything but to to go and be an Irish guy in the biggest one day sporting event is in the world is is the goal, and uh, that's something that uh, of course is is unique. You mentioned the name Roman Grosjean there as someone who you know you'd be mingling with in the mm-hmm. in the paddock, uh, familiar to any fans of Formula One Drive to Survive as the Haas driver who crashed into the barrier in Bahrain at 192 kilometres per hour, mm-hmm. fireball somehow survived, um, 67 Gs I think it was on impact. Do those conversations come up? In paddock, when you're chatting to the likes of Roman about his experiences, yeah, well, uh, I think, yeah, he survived that that day. Like it's unbelievably, you know, perished through a, a metal barrier with a car engulfed in flames and somehow got out of it. Um, so when you're speaking to him, you you can't help but see the scars on his hand. You know, all the all the uh, the aftermath of being in a fireball. Like run, he basically ran through a fire. He came out in in a fireball. So. Um, Look, as as a as a driver, you don't really bring it up on the day of the the event, so to speak. I mean, the reality is our sport is very very dangerous. You're driving at speeds excessive of 300 kilometers an hour, you know, inches away from one another. So um, at that point, anything can happen at any moment, and it's it's faster than what the human body can deal with from a reaction standpoint. Um, so yeah, he 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 talks about it openly, and he honestly said it changed his his way of looking at life and sport because he he got a second chance at that he should be gone everyone was sure that he was gone um so now he's he's in north america competing in indycar and uh having a very good run at it and um yeah he's a, he's a good guy unbelievable
it, I mean, the whole story is unbelievable because you've got you've got to be continuously getting better as a driver while at the same time keeping part of your brain going. Okay, I've got to keep everybody here happy. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a very difficult thing to be elite and high performance while also running the business. Yeah, I look it. It's obviously very enjoyable as well because like you're centrally involved in everything. You get to decide. Well, you don't get to decide, but the success or failure of it ultimately comes down to you in a way. Yeah, well, I I actually like that side of the business um, to some degree. Obviously, I'm here to, to win races and, and drive a car, and that's ultimately why I'm here. But the other side comes somewhat naturally, but I actually find a lot of motivation and you know hunger from the success stories of Irish businessmen, so the likes of J.P. McManus and, and guys like that here in, in, in Ireland, you know, those self-made guys, that hunger, get up and go, make it happen sort of attitude is, is what spurs me on in that division um, because you can make anything you want happen if you're willing to work hard enough, but again, I'm fortunate to have the team around me um, just in the last number of weeks got two people working behind me now who um, are working on the brand side and, and the content side and we're very senior people in, in big North American agencies. So, yes, I'm the front of it and, and, and doing uh, doing the, the talking, so to speak, but I'm very lucky to have a team behind me who, who are helping me implement that and ensure that the partners are getting return on investment. How many races are there? Uh, 11 events and 15 races this year in, in North America. We'll start in St. Petersburg and Florida, work our way all th- up through the East Coast and the Midwest and ultimately out West um, to uh, finish in uh, Laguna Seca in California. It's super exciting, James. We wish you the very best of luck with it. Thanks a million for Thank you us. very much. Appreciate yeah. it. No worries. A reminder, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. We're back on Monday morning with the performance rankings. Queenie's going to be here looking back at the weekend's rugby. OTB. AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.